VIPs in the audience. How exciting. Oh, they are in the room. Oh, Priscilla is the best. All right. Ugh. Okay. We are going to be joined by some friends on our Discord. We're going to mute them in a second, but we are we are live streaming it for them as well. <laughs> this is just our chill chatting, getting Yay. to know our audience. And uh, something that's thrilling to me personally is last year we had four people in our audience and we've just beaten that number before <laughs> we've even started. <laughs> We're growing. Oh my gosh. Hi, Doug. I'm Doug. Says so on my badge ribbon. <laughs> Look at all those. <gasps> Hi, Doug. <laughs> Ready to collect the whole set. Ah, let me tell you about our podcast. Hi, we are My Sister Made Me View It. As you might have guessed, that makes us sisters. This is where one of us has read and listened to and loved something for a long time and finally forced the other one into it. Kicking and screaming. We have, you're really happy now. I though. am very happy. We have multiple different feeds. Uh, she's guiding me through the 1999 Roswell and I'm dragging her through the Stormlight Archive. Um, but today we're doing a special episode for Dragonsteel where we discuss both Tress and Elantris. Yep. We're bookending the we, whole Cosmere right now. We asked our Patreon. We're just like, hey, do you guys want us to do Elantris or do you want us to do Tress? Like we were going to do one book and they're like, well, you obviously have to do Elantris like together. And I was like, okay, we'll do it together. So that's what we're going to try and get through. So give it a just a minute longer. But yeah, this is a series that she's just wanted me to read. I mean, for years, for years and years and years. Well, it's, it's amazing. Yes. It's amazing. And I, I'm just like, like, okay, I heard the prologue to Way of Kings the year before Brandon published it because I was in his creative writing class at BYU at the time and he read it to us as a preview. So that's literally how long <laughs> I've been telling you about this series. So we're going to give people uh, a few more minutes to settle and come in, but, um, we're going to talk about our experiences with the Cosmere. Uh, Elantris was the first book that both of us read, and then she gave up. But I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know there was more. I don't think that counts. I don't think that. Yes, I loved it. Well, she read it the year it came out, and there just wasn't other books. There just weren't. Yeah. Oh, just... my gosh. We're spoiling our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Thanks. Yeah. We will have a Q&A segment. Um, we will not be recording the whole podcast because we generally talk for a couple hours at a time. We've got about 50 minutes, so we'll talk for about 40 minutes and then we'll open it up for questions. But uh, is everyone having a good dragon steal so far? Nods. Good. <laughs> Excellent. So this is like, I mean, I came last year to do this but I didn't attend anything. So this is like my first year, like attending stuff. So it's yeah, been fun. Cause last year we were only port port. We were only partway through words of radiance and she was spoiler dodging like a fiend. Um, but now we're far enough into Oathbringer that we're feeling a little more confident about you seeing things on the floor. Yeah. Every so often I'm just like, who's that? And Meg's like, don't look at them. That's a spoiler. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I really regret not having caught up on all of the secret projects before I came. Cause I'm like, I'm dodging. You almost walked into the den of spoilers. There was the editing. It was the editing 
panel and all they talked about were the secret projects yeah. and so I ended up yeah. just having to put my earphones in my ears it was listening. the editing the secret projects panel <laughs> and it was so good the little that I heard and then they're like okay stormlight spoilers when Shalon and I'm like Ooh! so that didn't, right. didn't work so yeah you just listen took her years and I was not happy about it. And then I'm just like, why did I wait so long? Like, well, oh, oh. That's why I asked started like the Lompers. Because, like, you like the Lompers, so why was it? Why so good. Yeah, it was, it was, it's one of those things where, like, when your sibling asks you to do something and you're like, yeah, no. So <laughs> when the Lompers came out, I was like, 15? 12? All right. Thank you guys okay, for helping. That's much that's much better. We'll still get we'll still get some sound through, but at least it'll come through back there. Yeah. Hey. Are you ready to start? Let's start. Oh my gosh. Hello, friends and listeners, and welcome to our live recording at Dragonsteel Con 2023. <laughs> As you can hear in a stunning turn of events, we have a live audience. Um, so, so I think you should led we them talk astray. About, should we talk about what? Last year. No. Yeah. I'm about to talk <laughs> about last year. <laughs> Hi, everyone. But first, my name is Megan, and I should be manning Dan Wells' booth. My name is Emily, and I should be working on my book. But instead... Instead... We're making a podcast. We're making a podcast. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second year recording. My sister made me view it at Dragon Steel last year. Someone who shall remain me <laughs> scheduled when we were recording our podcast, and I was like, "Oh wow! Oh great! No one else wants this time slot. Amazing!" And we ended up being booked at the exact same time as Brandon's spoiler Q and A panel. Obviously, when you're up against Brandon for programming. At his very own convention. No one's going to come to the podcast. But by the end of the record, we had four people. Mm -hmm. And listeners, while you cannot see, I'm very pleased to tell you that before the recording even started, we have eight listeners. <laughs> double last double year's last Like a runaway train, never coming back. So Megan's only job this year was to make sure that we did not schedule this during Brandon Sanderson's Q&A <laughs> panel. And she was like, great, this time that I've picked, it's not then. So let's do it then. I'm like, great. And I scheduled it. And then our friend Priscilla messaged us a couple days later and she said, hey, are you doing a bit? And I was like, what do you mean? And she says, you requested the same time as Brandon's spoiler Q&A panel. So we had to fix it. Here's what Here's what happened. <laughs> so, you said that I scheduled it. I seem to recall. <laughs> What's your one job? I seem to recall me lying on the floor, eyes closed, you on the computer, and you said, hey, we can have this time at 11, this day at this, or Tuesday at 3. And I said, I have another panel Tuesday at 3. Catch me on the visual storytelling panel tomorrow, Tuesday at 2 p.m. And I'm like, oh, then I can send people from my 2 p.m. to our 3 p.m. podcast. And Emily said, great. And then you said, is it the same time as Brandon's thing? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It was. It was. <laughs> but we fixed it. 
actually fixed it. Okay, so welcome to My Sister Made Me View It, a podcast where one sister forces the other to read and or listen to something they've been refusing to for years and years and years. Emily and I have been recording the Stormlight Archive for three years. Mm-hmm. We have just made our way into Oathbringer. We're about 25% of the way through. And at first brush, Emily, what are you thinking of Oathbringer so far? I love it. It's my favorite one. It's my favorite one. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, but we wanted to do something special for Dragonsteel. And we pulled our Patreons on our online Discord, uh, patreon.com slash it, and said, hey, should we cover Elantris, Brandon's first published book, or Tress, one of his most recent? And they said, Uh, And thanks again to friend of the pod, Priscilla, who one, saved the show, and two, suggested we have an Elon Tress special. So Emily and I are going to spend about the next 35, 40 minutes um, for the first half of what our podcast will be, Uh, and then we will record the rest in the hotel room. Tonight? Yeah. Tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'll go up in our feed in about two weeks. So we are doing the Elan Tress special discussing Brandon's first published work, one of his most recent published works, uh, and discussing both our experience in the Cosmere and what the publishing state of the Cosmere has been like from the beginning until now. Mm-hmm. So uh, as Emily is the unspoiled reader, it generally starts with me asking her general questions and then we'll go into a list of specifics. And typically, each episode, we only cover a few chapters. And we've done a couple single book specials. Uh, this is our first two book our special. double special. You are worth it. <laughs> so, Emily, you have read Elantris before. I have. But it's been a while. Okay, so I picked this up when I, I went to BYU-Idaho. And I was like, I'm going to get a book a week and be all fancy and special and build my library that way. And so that's how I ended up with Elantris. It was just kind of like a random pick off the shelf sort of a thing. And I read it and it was like one of those where like you had to put the book down and just kind of sit for a minute and just kind of be like, whoa. And so it was, it was so impactful that I was just like, I can't ever read this book again because my first experience was so great. I just, I can't, I can't do it again. What if you felt that way about like food? I can never have cake ever again. That's not happening. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. You should have read the book again. But I'm glad you did it because now we can podcast about it. Um, But I also realized something because I technically got into the Cosmere before you did. <laughs> now, now, listen. Listen. If you dug your feet in the water and then turn your back on the ocean, you did not learn to scuba dive. <laughs> so I will allow that you found Brandon Sanderson before I did. Mm-hmm. But you didn't know. I did How do squats. You didn't know sh- about the Cosmere. <laughs> None of us knew. No one knew. <laughs> so when the time came to read again, I was actually really nervous because I'm just like, it was so good the first time. What will happen the no second time? No one knew. <laughs> okay, sorry. It was just as good the second time and I'm going to read it a third time. Like next week, it was yep. so good. Um, so I first read Elantris because I had a friend who, uh, a high school friend who got me into Brandon's books. This would have been around 2006, the year after you did, uh, 2006 or 2007. So Elantris was out, the first two Mistborn books were out, and Warbreaker was just up on Brandon's website. 
And I believe, I can't remember if he gave me Final Empire first or Elantris first, mm-hmm. um, but I read all three of the published books within a week. And then I read Warbreaker and I loved Warbreaker so much. I actually printed it out in like little fold over zine style packets. I had a series of, I think, 12 packets and I numbered them and I passed them around my marching band friends. So like as soon as you read packet one, this goes over to this person and you get packet two and then like, anyway. So I love forcing people to read Brandon's books. It's one of my favorite things. It's her MO. (laughs) Now, Emily, when did you first read Trust? On Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) And at first brush, what did you think of Trust at the MRC? Delightful. Who here's read it? I know it's one of his... Has everybody read it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> cool people come to our <laughs> podcast <laughs> and Dragonsteel in general. Dragonsteel in general. Um, it was delightful and lovely, and I I adored it so much. It was. I'm so excited to talk about it. It was just like so different from anything that Brandon has done and anything that's out there, and it was lovely. Real fast, we have a couple comments from our live chat on okay. the Discord. Sean Q says, my favorite sisters. Uh, Sean is one half of the podcast Storm Pod with Sean and Jack. Again, they're formatted very similarly to our podcast with an experience and a new reader. We have some vigorous head nods in the audience yeah. and a thumbs up. <laughs> they're so much cooler than us. They are. <laughs> they are. They're the other kind of cool. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, we're, so they're our brother podcast, and we're like the fun, cool, spunky sisters, and StormPod is thoughtful, so in-depth. Nobody has uh, punched each other on the (laughs) StormPod, to my memory. She hit me. One time. It was one time. (laughs) I think I deserved it, though. (laughs) That sounds like me. Um, and then we also have a comment from Dilly who says, I could totally scuba dive after dipping my toes in the ocean. I'd die, but I could still do it. And Carsa Ryder, Whitney, right? Yeah. 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 It's Whitney. Says, you two are amazing. Love listening live. And Sean Q says, we love you so much. Ah, Sean. And then Dilly says, go, Sean. You're so adored. <laughs> All right. Discord pause. Tress. I did not read Tress right away. I had these grand dreams that I would save all of the secret projects up and I would meet them out slowly in the wait between Stormlight 5 and 6. Mm-hmm. And then October 1st, the day that we got Sunlit Man in our inboxes, friend of the pod, Priscilla, who designed this awesome sweater I'm wearing, uh, she said, hey, I need you to read Sunlit Man. we got to talk about it. <laughs> and I said, great. And I opened it and I'm like, this is the best Cosmere novel that's ever existed. I love Sunlit Man so much. And I'm like, well, seal's broken. And in a matter of two days, I had Sunlit Man, Tress, and uh, Wizard, and Yumi. And uh, Tress and Sunlit Man were my two favorites. Um, and it's really fun to see the variance in voice between the four secret projects. Mm-hmm. Emily, something you specifically wanted to bring up was the difference in voice between Elantris and Tress. Can you tell us some of your thoughts on that? Okay, so I got an English degree when I went to college, but voice is something that's still hard to define. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best. But, um, I mean, you guys know with Elantris, there's three main characters. We've got Rayodin, Rathen, and Serene. And- <gasps> I'm so sorry. I've been waiting and waiting to tell you this. What? You've been saying her name wrong. Of course I have. And I wanted to wait till we had an audience. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the language in Elantris is syllable based. Okay. So the E is not silent. Her name is 
Sarini. Oh, that's cute. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try and remember. <laughs> this also led to, I was having a conversation with somebody at a different writing conference a while ago, and they started talking about this character, Hoed. And I said, who, who's? <laughs> and they're like, you know, Hoed, that guy that shows up in every Cosmere book. And I'm like, Hoed? <laughs> and they go, that's, no, because they had read Elantris first. And so ho Id makes perfect sense. I hate it, though. <laughs> um, and so the idea that this book has three main characters, but you know exactly who's speaking. And um, I also want to bring that Brandon's really good at voice, I feel. Like, when you've got Way of Kings in each character, like if you have a soldier on the field, he's only noticing things that a soldier would notice. You have an artist... She's looking at a city and she's noticing the things an architect or an artist would notice. Like, he's got these details that work out really, really well. And so, um, Brandon actually talked about at the end of the book Tress, he'd always wanted to try and write a book in Hoyd's voice. Hoyd. That one. And um, he said he didn't quite feel that he caught it here, but it was close enough. And it's just different from everything else. And so the idea of voice being able to write so many different characters and you know which character is speaking and who's looking at what just fascinates me. Um, so not only does he have these specific voices, but they, in both of these books, represent a specific scaffolding he set up for himself. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, Way of Kings with multiple points of view will vary back and forth to different characters for even different amounts of time. And you may even lose a point of view character for a whole part of the book. <laughs> but Elantris, like clockwork, goes character A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C. And being able to meter out the plot in an even an interesting way. So it's not like, oh, I can't believe I have to read about Serini again. Also, uh, we have a message from Eve on our Discord that says, Emily Defense Squad. Aw, thank you. <laughs> Brandon says people can pronounce any name any way they want, and even Brandon doesn't follow his own aeonic pronunciation. There we go. I feel great. I feel great about it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, you were talking about ABC. Yes, and just uh, how even and consistent the interesting stuff in Elantris is where you're almost racing to, oh, I can't wait to get back to Hrathen's chapter again Mm -hmm. and see what happens next. Alternately, writing an entire book in Hoyd's voice is a challenge and a huge departure from all of the other Cosmere books. It is Mm -hmm. the first time a Cosmere book has been this sort of, I am a person telling you a story instead of I am a character experiencing a story. Um, So... If you had to choose between Elantris and Tress now, which book did you enjoy more and which book did you enjoy the technical help? What's this word? Uh, I don't know. Technical achievement, technical. It's technical technique. I was looking for the word technique. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's a hard one just because Tress is so different. I think I think I still enjoyed Elantris more just because the Sanderlanch at the end just absolutely just cleaned Gobsnacked. my clock. Yeah, yeah. Where what time period are we from? <laughs> cleaned my clock. Gabsmacked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and the funny thing is, like, because uh, I'd, I'd read Elantris, and Megan at one point had said, oh, the Sander Lanch, and I immediately knew what that meant. Like, just the thing that one thing after the other, the way that he'd set up all the dominoes to, like, topple over. Um, because, you know, you, you get, like, a whole chapter for each character and then by the end you've got like paragraph 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 and it just moves so fast and it's so satisfying now while this is the first book that brandon published this is not the first book that brandon wrote Mm -hmm. um he wrote multiple books before he had one accepted for publication Mm -hmm. and in the 10th anniversary edition of elantris there's a foreword by dan wells who, who talks about being in brandon's writing group uh his peer critique group as all of them are working their way towards publication. And he mentions how in Brandon's books, his early books, there was a lack of, I think the phrase that Dan uses is the universe is not in peril. It was very like singular character studies and very small stakes. And he's like, if you're writing epic fantasy, and this was sort of the agreement from many people Brandon was getting feedback on. If you're writing epic fantasy, the very fabric of existence should be in peril huge stakes what are the stakes in tress not that not that (laughs) um it um for those of you i don't know if you know but um tress was written for his wife um after they watched the princess bride and she said what if west no what if buttercup had gone off to rescue wesley once she realized he was in danger and so that that was kind of the the starting point for this and it just reads like a beautiful fairy tale where i don't want to say it's predictable but it's that good old-fashioned good overcomes evil and they're clever about it and it's Mm -hmm. lovely to be got to be i know so many words (laughs) (laughs) to be good and sweet and kind and nice is not a weakness but in fact is what builds the strength you need to finish. Mm-hmm. So the the secret projects are a unique case when it comes to publishing. Um, it's when like Dragon Seal Publishing has now in-house completely designed, yeah, done the graphic layout, done all the editorial, published and distributed these books. A huge undertaking. And it's really fun to see that, what year is it? 2023 2023 right now this came out in 2005 so about 18 years Mm -hmm. right it was a running bit in the first panel i did this morning that i can't count that was not a bit i did on purpose (laughs) i messed up counting to four twice (laughs) (laughs) um that in the last 18 years when he just writes to his heart It's a small story in a big world. Mm -hmm. Oh, and what a world. Let's talk about world building. Let's talk about the magic system of Elantris and the magical world of Tress. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the Elantrian magic. Um, So, wait, do you want the plot of Elantris or is that? I believe what I asked you was, tell me about the magic (laughs) system in Elantris. It's picture based. Okay. Great. So they have these things called aeons and it's light that you draw in the air Mm -hmm. um, and it must be a specific pattern for a specific effect. Yes. And why aren't the aeons working? Spoilers Mm -hmm. for Elantris. Um, So what happened is 10 years 
you know, in, in the book, something happened 10 years previous, there had been an earthquake that had changed the face of the land. There's this huge chasm. And we find out that the reason that the magic isn't working is when you, you do the drawings in the air, um, because they needed to add in the chasm to the pictures. Yeah. The pictograms were geography based. Yes. And when something happened that changed the land of the geography, the Elantrians were unaware that that was something that needed to be changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, tell me about the magic in Tress. What is her world like? Her world, uh, so when, when she gets ready to leave, we're talking about sailing over the ocean and instead of it being a water-based ocean, it is spores. It is all dust-based. And what's the, there's a, there's a scientific term for how they sail the ship over the, over the, the spores. Yeah. They call it seeth, but it's like when the air bubbles come oh, out. Oh, yeah, Is the, there the a, seeth, yeah. The seeth, okay. Um, There's probably a real science term for that. Probably. Does anyone in the audience know the real science term for... Yes, sir. Fluidization. There we go. I will I will not forget that one, hopefully. Um, and, and we find out that in Tress, there's all sorts of magic. There's magic from Elantris. There's magic from Nalthus. There's magic from Cell. There's, you know, people there that are visiting. And so it's kind of this culmination on this very unique planet that we get a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So we had a goof going earlier in the podcast when we were talking about Elantris and you were saying you got into the Cosmere first. And I was like, oh, we didn't have a Cosmere yet. <laughs> Uh, Elantris is very subtle in its Cosmere connections because Brandon himself hadn't really revealed to his publishers that, guess what? I have 78 books. <laughs> Will you publish my 78 book series? But Tress itself will require a lot of pre-Cosmere knowledge to catch a lot of things. Now, Emily, I've taken you on a journey. A I long like journey. A long, very long journey before our destination. No, <laughs> no, I don't like that. Uh, over the last three years, you have been reading the Stormlight Archive. Mm -hmm. You have read Warbreaker. Mm -hmm. You've done a refresher on Elantris. Yep. Um, and we haven't jumped back into Mistborn, but can you tell me about some of the world hoppers that you've spotted in Tress? We've got Hoyd for sure. He's one of those. Who's that? Hoid. Oh, <laughs> that guy. Oh, yeah, I know him. He's an Elantris. All right. Um, and then at the end, um, we have an Elantrian. Yes! And that's why I really wanted you to read Elantris. <laughs> I, I called her. I'm like, when you're getting ready for the podcast, read Elantris first because of chronology. Psych! Surprise, Elantrian! <laughs> and then the doctor, and I don't know what world he's from. I don't know that I've read that one yet. Have I? You have. And I'm oh. so excited to tell you about this doctor. He's a Chondra. He's from Mistborn. Oh. I mean, Scadriel. Oh, Inquisitorville. He's from Inquisitorville. <laughs> Listeners of our podcast will get that reference. And also anyone who's read Mistborn and can, like, use context clues. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he is a Chondra. So I think you need to read Tress again with that knowledge so it's, like, more fun More for fun. You. I can do that. Yeah. Um, and then in Elantris... We have Hoed. Mm -hmm. Now, here's here's a Cosmere implication you and I haven't really touched on. Okay. What happens to Hoyd? What does he get at the end of Tress? <laughs> I'm just like, oh no. He gets his 
Well, the curse is broken. Uh-huh. And he gets his sense of fashion back. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. Although every Hoyt cosplayer this weekend has been a Amazing. Gift. Amazing. Weekend, I mean Monday. <laughs> um, does he get anything from her? He is granted the powers of an Elantrian. I wondered about that because, like, everywhere he goes, like, he has, he gets the breath from, mm-hmm. you know, Warbreaker. He, now he gets this. And now where we're reading in the Stormlight Archive, he currently doesn't have a Spren or any other kind of magic that's on Roshar. <laughs> There's more than one kind of magic. Emily doesn't believe me. And I'm like, keep reading. <laughs> um, but he now has the powers of an Elantrian. Emily. When in the timeline do you think Tress happens? Oh, I think it's... Okay, this is going to sound stupid. I think it's after a long time. I think that's... <laughs> Thank you. I think that's a really good bet because they don't have space travel in the Tress. Okay. Um, I'm going to also say post... I'm going to guess post... Stormlight Archives, because at least I haven't seen him do anything like that yet. Okay. So. You think Hoyd will survive the Stormlight Archive to narrate Tress? I mean, I, I'm, yes. That's my Rainbow. guess. That's, I'm putting it down on the table. He will survive. All right. Hey, I hope so. Thank you. I would love that for you. Thank you. Uh, oh, yeah. My toxic trait is I say Rafo instead of Rafo. It's a whole thing. Um. <laughs> So we've had these two books and we've gotten two new incredible casts of characters. Mm-hmm. And I am going to ask you for some specifics. Okay. Out of the characters of Elantris, who would you betroth, betray, and banish? Okay. Out of these ones? Yeah. <sighs> it's, listen, you guys. We're an all-ages-appropriate podcast. <laughs> uh, I think Betrothed, it had to be Rayodin. Like, he's great. He's great. Just saying that. But, oh, I don't want to betray or... Okay, Dennis so we need another buh. Yeah. So, Betrothed, positive. Yeah. Betray, negative. Yeah. Befriend! Okay, Serene. Serene, I'm befriending Serene okay. because she's amazing. Okay. And she's... Okay, she might be my favorite character. She's so smart. She's strong. so smart and strong and, Love it. and figures stuff out. And I was impressed with her the entire time. Um, and then, okay, I'm going to feel really dumb. Who's who's not the priest? Who's the other one? Oh, Dilf. 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 <laughs> We're in all ages of the podcast. <laughs> I think it's Dilf. Okay. <laughs> Oh, dear. That's who I would. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> who I would do. It's been such a long day. Thank you for sticking with us. Okay. <laughs> and who would you? The last one, my uh, friend. Oh wait, you already said. You already said all three. Yeah. Get out of here, Elantris. <laughs> Tress. Here's the thing. I'd want to befriend Hoyd, but I don't want him to make fun of me. <laughs> he would. I feel like he totally would. Has. I don't think anyone would ever make fun of you. <laughs> Thank you. No one in the history of our podcast has <laughs> ever done that. Um, I'd want to befriend Tress, obviously. I think she's great. Um, what were the other ones? Befriend? Befriend, betrothed, betray. 
I can't betroth Charlie. Because that's... I can't, she's my friend. I've befriended her. I can't betroth her betrothed. Okay. How about the boat? You love boats. I love boats. I love boats. <laughs> <laughs> so in the way of change... Sorry, in words of radiance. Somebody shall remain Shalon <laughs> sinks a boat. And Emily believes it is the greatest act of evil committed in the book so yes. far. She... She murdered. She if anything <laughs> off itself. It didn't want to, <laughs> but it changed its mind. It was coerced. It was politely asked. I am a stick. I am a boat. Anyway, listen to our podcast. My sister made me view it, where we fight about this boat for like a solid four episodes. Hey, hey. I have a justification. For the boat? For the sandpit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Tangent time. Now, Emily, I believe it was you who said that you hated the fact that Sandpit rescued Shalon. I hate it's very strong. I thought you said it was so circumstantial and yeah. and that the trunk of books just happened yeah, to be washed up on shore. Do you know what kind of spren follow the sandpit around? No. Audience, do you know what kind of spren follow the sandpit around? Luck spren. Okay, so that makes way more sense. That does make way more sense. (laughs) I didn't know that until this morning. I just had my heart of hearts. I knew that the sandpit was special. But during the bestiary panel this morning, I learned that those specifically are luck spren. And they are drawn to luck. Therefore, the sandpit is literally a bringer of good okay, fortune. Okay, I take that. I, I accept that now. That's fine. So I think now we each have a point in our corner. <laughs> there we go. Right. Okay, so this was our first entry into the Cosmere, mm-hmm. both of us. Yes. Even if some of us didn't know it. <laughs> um, but between these two books, which would you recommend to a first reader to get into all of it? I'd hate to say it depends on their ages, but I think it would. Okay. I don't know. This, like, Elantra's just, like, stands heads and shoulders above for me. It's just... Elantrians are very tall. Not (laughs) as tall as Kaladin, though. How tall is Serene? Serene's six foot. And how tall is Kaladin? More than that. More than that. (laughs) Very tall. Taller than even Dalek. I found out that... Kaladin was tall at the final battle at the end of book one before the battle started and it took me about 20 minutes to calm down and reimagine him because she's a very visual reader yeah and had pictured him as as an underdog yes physically an underdog yes and she made she just cracked a joke about like oh he's a little short for a stormtrooper and I absentmindedly was like oh no he's huge and she's like what who? So I'm like, mad. Kaladin. <laughs> it was just, it was right before the final battle. Like, I'd read him for a thousand pages and all of a sudden I had to reimagine him. And yeah. Right. Um, secret wife. Secret wife. So go. many people have those in these books. Um, what was the most shocking moment in Tress of the Emerald Sea for you? Shocking. Hmm. Good question. I didn't like. I said it, it for me. It like just flowed. Like everything just made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think it was the doctor, like of who he was. Like yeah. I wasn't expecting a zombie, yeah, sort of a thing. So I would say that was shocking. Like I figured out who Charlie ended up being 
before just because I'm like, it's a fairy tale. I know that this is Charlie. And so yeah. I think it would be the, the zombie because I'm like, oh, it's a nice fairy tale. No, there's a zombie in it. Zombies like, can be nice. Yeah, yeah. I was just surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was the death of the Doug in the Crimson Sea. Oh. I loved that turning point where the fairy tale became more real and much more serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your most shocking moment of Elantris? Um, it would be the mystery blood cult. The murder, <laughs> the death, murder cult. death cult. Same hat. Yes. I also felt that. I was like, that's a little dark for you. <laughs> All right. What was, was there a moment in either book where you were just like, yes. You know, that one gift of data. Yeah. He's from Star Trek. Oh, I did know that. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, ooh, for Elantris. Okay, I'm going to say it was a shocking part to me. I'm going to go back to the shocking thing. It's when I started having sympathy for Hrathen. Because, like, he just starts off as such... Yeah, yeah. He starts off as such a... I don't even want to say stereotypical, but he's just... Yeah, he's just very black and white. And you're like, okay, this is the bad guy. This is the guy we're going to hate. And then by the... Beata Maria. Yeah. Um, And so by the time you're just like, I have sympathy for this dude... So sympathy for the, the devil. devil. <laughs> so yeah, what about you? Um so I you know, I am I am one to get emotional when I read a book or see a movie. I well up with tears. Uh massive Elantris spoilers. Okay, I'm seeing nods of wrecking. Oh, okay. Nope. I see someone plugging their ears and I care about you. There's a moment in the near the end of the book. I burst into tears. Not, you know, it wasn't slow. It was just Sanderlich, Sanderlich, Sanderlich. <laughs> Inconsolable. And then I rewound four pages and I read it again. <laughs> anyway, uh, absolutely loved it that you're know, going on this roller coaster of emotions. Because you're right, Tress is a lot more gentle and soft in its twists and turns and its consequences. Yes. And Elantris is. Uh, you know, a much more mature story to read with like higher depths and lows. Yeah. And it's not that it makes one book better than the other. It's about enjoying the range in all of these books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that we picked these two books to compare and contrast because they, they both stand out so differently from each other. And like even just picking two of the secret projects, you'd get the same effect or even, you know, two of the different books within the Stormlight Archive. And it's that Brandon's storytelling has a lot of range. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get 17 Land Before Time sequels from this guy. <laughs> yeah. At what point is it the Land After Time, honestly? <laughs> um, but that any book that you pick up will have some similarities to it. Put a pin in that. It's a surprise tool that'll help us later. Um, but the actual, the storytelling, the voice, the mm-hmm. setting always brings something fresh and something new and something emotionally sincere and resonant when you're reading one of these books. And that's some of the things that have brought us all today. But let's talk about similarities and character archetypes. Okay. Tall, blonde lead ladies. Uh, give me another one. What are some uh, similarities between Elantris and Tress? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, you've got Elantrians. <laughs> in both books. That was my fault. I said the bar too low. <laughs> both covers are green. 
Um, not okay. Not really a answering my question, but um, I was really interested at how similar the Aeons felt to Spren this time around. Mm-hmm. Like I could definitely see where, like as I'm reading Elantris, I'm like, ooh, like I can see Shallan in in this in Elantris, or ooh, I can see where Brandon's getting his ideas for this, and I. Like, sometimes you read authors and you're just like, oh, they, they use the same idea over and over and over and this is boring. But Brandon uses themes. Like, he'll use the same theme sometimes in, in two books, but the books are wildly different and have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. I guess the Cosmere. Okay, that doesn't count. Um, but I loved looking at the themes through it and just being like, that's a, that's a Stormlight Archives thing. That's yeah. a Warbreaker thing. That's a this. And- I felt like Rayodin. Um, Rayodin's journey to bring life to the Elantrians was very similar to Kaladin's journey to rescue B- Bridgeport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. And I like that a lot of branded stuff is about hope. Like, hope is, like, one of the most important things a person can have. And I think some people will be like, ugh, hope. Like, that's stupid. But no, like... Have you guys seen RRR? <laughs> <laughs> I just watched it last week. Um, and the, the sincerity and the hope and just like the emotional connection those two characters had to each other. I'm like, that's a Cosmere. It's a Cosmere thing. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I, I appreciate that with Brandon where he does have that range because some authors, you know, maybe they're really, really good at only writing YA or they're really, really good at only writing mysteries or whatever. But like. Brandon's got this range. He just covers everything. Range, darling. (laughs) And I'm just constantly impressed with his writing. All right. So we've got just about 10 minutes left on the live portion of our recording. We'll be going home tonight to talk about the plot and the characters of each. You know, a a little more like our typical podcast Mm -hmm. where we'll we'll go through the plot of each story. But now I would love to open it up to audience questions about. Pretty much anything, except not past the first twenty pages of Oathbringer, because I haven't. That's as far as I am. We're a hundred pages in. We're a hundred. I said twenty. Oh, I meant chapters. Twenty. (laughs) Chapters, chapters. please. Um. So a bit about us and who we are, so you can ask us questions. I work in. You know, I'm I'm talking into that mic right now. Okay, please go. Oh, right, you're opening it up. Uh, hi, my name is Megan. I work in the animation industry. I'm a director, a screenwriter, and a storyboard artist. I've worked on projects for DreamWorks, Nickelodeon, Marvel, Netflix. I'm currently a director on Star Trek Lower Decks. I'm not here in any official capacity for any of the places that I've worked for, but I love visuals and storytelling and visual storytelling. And we finished the books and Emily's like, do you think trust should be animated? I'm like, I think everything should be animated. Um, and then Emily, you're a writer and mm-hmm. tell us more about you. Um, so I write, I have a writer's group that I hang out with and I am doing Regency romance right now. And then like a high action octane Jason Bourne with the Fae. And so that's mm-hmm. really fun. So. Uh, she's also a very accomplished editor and you do a lot of freelance uh, mm-hmm. novel editing yeah. as well. Yeah. So you can ask us stuff about the co- the Cosmere. We have some actual listeners of our podcast here, which is cool. Oh, yeah. Quick raise of hands. Who here has heard any episodes of our show before? Woo-hoo! That's a great split. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for, for coming. coming. And also the five people on our Discord. So, yeah. yeah! <laughs> um, yeah. General questions about pretty much anything but we are a family-friendly podcast (laughs) 
Yes. Um, so my question is, uh, I noticed that Brendan, as we said, he has so much range. Is there like a sub-genre that he has not done that you really want him to do? So for example, I think like, obviously we have fairy tale dress. Mm -hmm. I would say Laundress feels like a political thriller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, or any, anything like sub-genre that he hasn't kind of done that you wish he would. I would be interested in seeing him try his hand at horror. Like, I wonder if he could do she that. She has not read Sixth of the Dusk. <laughs> oh, so maybe he already has. <laughs> but do you know what? More. 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 Forest for Silence. Forest for Silence. Yeah, Shadows for Silence. That's on the, the list. That's, so, yeah. yeah. Um, poetry. I would love to see a book of poetry from Brandon. Mm -hmm. Either from the point of view of a character or just his his own thoughts. Short form. Yeah. Cat text? Yes, we do have those. All right, we had a couple more questions. I saw hands. Yeah. I want to ask, how did you feel seeing a real-life dragon? Oh, we forgot to talk about the <laughs> dragon. Emily, did you know there were dragons in the Cosmere? No. I Well, there's the one. <laughs> there is no, no. I so the answer is yes, I knew, but All I right. didn't know there was more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a freebie okay. because of it's dragon steel. Do you remember that letter between Hoyt and somebody else? Yes. He was writing to a dragon. Shut up. Podcast is over. I can't talk anymore. She <laughs> told me to shut up. That's exciting. Yeah, there are multiple dragons in the Cosmere, but they've always been like around the fringes. And then in Trust, they just go talk to one. That's very cool. That's pretty cool. So yeah, I thought very positively of dragons. <laughs> yeah. Out of all the books, which one would you like? You've unlocked. You've unlocked her. I'm going to be so calm and professional about this. <laughs> Just like you have been. Yeah, yeah. I want all of it. If I could only make one movie, it would be Sunlit Man. That's literally insane. <laughs> because that one's so Cosmere heavy. So I, I want to make Mad Max Fiery Road more than anything. Um, but I I really think both Elantris and Tress would do excellently as standalone animated movies. Brandon, who listens to our podcast. <laughs> he might. He might. Brandon, do you listen to our podcast? Right, right in. in. Tell us. <laughs> um, I think I would... If I could just pick one, animated Mistborn Final Empire. I think the first book is so strong enough as a standalone, and I'd I'd love to see an arcane style Mistborn. Um, I'll I'll jump back to the audience questions. We have a question from our Discord. First is from Dilly. What's your favorite plot line in a Sanderson book and why? Um, I'm gonna try and do low spoilers, but it's Way of Kings, what Dalinar gives up at the end, um, his promise, what he what he pays off, and it's it it follows the thing of like, well, what is priceless? Like a man's life is priceless, and he trades something that is also priceless, um, and that's like the first time I think Kaladin has ever seen like someone keep a promise to him, um, and just watching watching that thread in book one kind of come to that very surprising ending for me i was just like what is he what what's dalinar doing i love that plot line my favorite plot line i can't say because there's unspoiled people present <laughs> but i can 
lightly hint. Jeremy go, la, 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 la. You edit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to know. Maybe if I just go. <laughs> that's the sign for you to just like jump. No, 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 no. It's all right. I can, I can talk around this. It is a small habit of a character I love that turns out to be the the winning twist in a trial scene later in the Stormlight Archive. Okay. I'm seeing a couple of people in the audience, listeners are going, ah. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> nice. Yes. All right, so um, a lot of books have this whimsical joke thing that Brandon likes to do. Um, that are like, and there were a few of my favorites in that dress. I really enjoyed the Doug. There are Dougs on all these different plants, and they're spelled different ways. I'm yeah. Doug! <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your favorite, like, kind of standard flight of fancy? Oh, my favorite flight of fancy, or oh, even, like, funny moment. Oh, yeah. There's lots of little... No mating is a favorite. <laughs> uh, and I I love making I'm a stick jokes. You do. I do. You're very good at them. Um, I'm trying to think of one one that I like. Um, I I love how shocked everyone is at Serene's height. But she's six foot, but they're like, you're a giant. Like, to me, that's the funniest part, I think, of the whole thing, because our dad is quite tall. Our father is six four, and our brother-in-law is like six two. So I'm like, you're weak. Hang out with real tall people. I'm five four and 34, and my family is still like, can you reach that if it's on the top shelf? And I'm like, yes! In... My 20s, mm-hmm. when our family went to Disneyland, I had to sit you all down and say, I'm going to need you all to stop asking if I'm tall enough to go on the rides. I'm so sorry. <laughs> because <laughs> it's been 84 years. Because <laughs> I, okay, so I grew this tall in the sixth grade and I was the tallest human woman any 11 year old had ever seen until we all turned 12. And then everyone got taller than me, like, instantly. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of my life, everyone's been teasing me for being short. So for, like, one shining moment, I was Kaladin in Stormblast. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Look who's somebody you. that's short? <laughs> yeah. I'm, who's somebody that's short? I don't know. And then. There you go. Titty-witty. All right. Thank you. That was a great question. Yes. Have you seen the fan animation for the intro of Stormlight Archive using Black I have, and I actually, wait, is that the one by a different Megan? I don't know. Okay, I, I creep on animated Stormlight stuff, so yes, I've seen it, and I've heard the Black Piper music. I haven't seen it. You'll have to show it to me tonight. Okay, so. I'll, I'll send you links. Um, right. Someone else also recently did the discussion between Dalinar and Sadius on the battlefield uh, mm. at the end of Way of Kings. Nice. That was really good. Very cool. All right, I have a question for you. Okay. Are you enjoying podcasting with me? Yes. That is a huge relief. (laughs) Not that she could stop, but I would hate to make her (laughs) do something she didn't love. Um, So we've now been podcasting for three years, Mm -hmm. and we've been racing to get through the Cosmere. And a year from now, we're going to try and be done at least recording. We're going to be done recording Rhythm of War, not releasing it, but just recording it. So you can actually go to a release party for once. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm feeling kind of sad that we're running out of Cosmere books. Me too. What are we going to do about that? Quit the podcast. <laughs> no. We actually have multiple other podcast feeds that you can follow. As I mentioned, we are just wrapping up uh, coverage of the Roswell 1999 television series. We're going to start Scholomance by Naomi Novik, the trilogy. Mm-hmm. And then we have a miscellaneous feed where we cover smaller projects like Our Flag Means Death, which is only 10 episodes at a time, or a Korean horror project called The Guest. And we mm-hmm. just finished a uh, delightful book by Kate Stave in London called mm-hmm. One to Watch yep. that is about a plus-size woman who finds herself as the lead of The Bachelor. It's del- delightful. Um, and if you become our Patreon patron, we are doing a full watch through of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, making a commentary track and an additional episode for each movie. Because Emily, how do you feel about the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I love it. I love it. Ask me back. Oh, how do you feel about it, Megan? It's okay. I know you don't like it. But she's doing it anyway. I'm making her view it. So, oh, but I think wait. that is our time. It almost is because Sean Q, our valued podcast brother, has sent in another question. He says, "Megs, what part in Stormlight Archive has become a new favorite since you started covering it? A new favorite? I have a renewed appreciation and love for everything that Emily says is dumb." <laughs> No, okay, I'm going to be absolutely honest, and we're going to end this podcast with a super divided audience. I am so compelled by the Moash storyline. <laughs> it's, he's the worst. He's the worst. I know. It's compelling. <laughs> you just, listen, there's more. You just finished Words of Radiance. There's more. Okay, we'll get there. I love the idea of how, what horrible things can a character do? Is it still possible for them to get redeemed? Mm. And at this point, the biggest spoiler I let slip to Emily is that Moash is still alive in in book four. I have to. And she's upset. Look forward to that. (laughs) Because uh, the central question I'm, we're finding of the Stormlight Archive on our way through that I didn't really pick up my first race through is the value of the life of a man. Mm-hmm. When does the value of a life change? When is the value of one man greater than the other? Mm-hmm. And can you do so much evil that it is better to kill you than it is to try and save you? It's so good. We'll find out we'll next find year out. when Stormlight Five releases, where you will hopefully catch us doing our Stormlight Five theory special episode of My Sister Ooh. Made Me View It. But you've all been a wonderful audience. Thank We've you for got coming. To clear the room for yes. the Sandersonian Institute of Cosmere Studies. Thank you for increasing last year's podcast attendance by 500%. We love and appreciate all of you. And thank enjoy you so much. We did it. We did it. Your makeup looks super cute today. Thank you. I tried hard. On purpose. <laughs> Babe, it paid off for you. Thank you. Hello, listeners. Hi, listeners. Welcome, welcome to the second part of our super extravagant Elon Tress special. Uh, Emily and I, last week, two weeks ago, 
Record. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Beginning of last week, so it's basically two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh recorded live at dragon steel and we had so many people there listening to us if we and we had actual listeners like pre people who'd heard the podcast before were there listening to us we had people tuning in live on the discord we had people actually live in the audience and they brought their sisters what it was wonderful so much fun. Uh, Emily, tell us about how much fun you had at Dragonsteel. I had a blast. It was amazing. Um, there were, everyone there was just so nice and so wonderful. And I went to a bunch of different panels and got to meet a bunch of new people. And I got really good at standing in lines for Megan. Hey, you did. Only because, though, I was so good at standing in booths for my friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We got one of the super special edition Mistborn sweaters designed by our very yes! own Priscilla. Friend of the pod. Savior of the pod. Yes. Priscilla. Thank you again, Priscilla, for letting us know that it had been scheduled during Brandon's Q&A <laughs> session. <laughs> Hello, my name is Mabob, and I should be taking a nap. My name is Emily, and I should be working on my book. But instead, instead, we're making a podcast. We're making a podcast. So, Dragon Steel was amazing. We had so much fun, and I'm hype excited for next year's yes. Dragon Steel, particularly because it's going to be on a weekend, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, instead of a Monday, Tuesday, mm-hmm. which will be great. And for they're me. going to open more like available slots. So, mm-hmm. Get your tickets early because they still might sell out. They So this year they sold 5,000 badges and next year they are going to sell 10,000 badges. And Emily and I have grand dreams of having our own booth next year instead of me being a booth babe for Dan Wells. <laughs> No, I did. I feel. I feel the time I spent in his booth, I spent well, and I engaged with the audience and got so many people to sign up for his email newsletter. You are very approachable. Like I, I would pass by every so often because I was just walking up and down, kind of like the artist alley sort mm-hmm. of a thing. And every time I passed by, you were like engaging with someone and just like this bright beautiful smile and being like oh these books are great and like giving like the sales pitch and like you yeah you're an asset to any team that you are on uh so it's very fun so dan and i actually became friends at ltue because we paneled together on a panel about pitching and i talked about that the way i developed my pitching skills was by pitching books to my friends. I'm like, oh, you should read this book. It's about this and this and this. And I talked about like what I would break down and how I tailor my pitch for different friends. I had mentioned, I was like, this is so cool that I'm on this panel with Dan Wells because I am not a serial killer is one of my favorite books to pitch. I love talking about it. And we are friends to this day. (laughs) There you go. Talk about the things that you love with the people that wrote them. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of, shout out to my friend, Kenna. My friend Kenna, who's one of the beta readers on my uh, 
Jedi survivor fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And now Emily has given me a lot of great comments on my Jedi survivor fan fiction. Because it's good. But, oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but Kenna did something really special. So I've been sending Google Doc links to everyone who's reading it. And, and brag, people have been messaging me saying it's great. But Kenna put a ton of comments in the Google Doc and highlighted what she loved. And I was like, oh, what is this feeling so sudden and new? And it's given me so much energy to write another chapter because I just want comments on it. But I'm not going to write it tonight. Because? <laughs> going... As soon as we finish this podcast episode, I'm going to my bed because instead of taking a nap today like I should have, I watched Instagram Reels. (laughs) (laughs) I spent my two available nap hours on Instagram. So really, this is all my own fault and you shouldn't feel sorry for me. Listeners, I want you all to point and laugh right now. We'll leave a space for it. Okay, now that that's over with, <laughs> Emily, should we get it back into a laundress? Let's get back into a laundress. I so just I, want I, to remind everyone that I'm going to be <laughs> talking out of my book that has two branded signatures in it. And you had the opportunity to get a third, and I'm so <laughs> sad you I did might it. do it at a future date, but I got my dress mm-hmm. signed, which that's, my- That's good. My, I say my goal, my vibe is to only have him sign books that I've read. And so... That's a good goal. I've got Way of King signed and Words of Radiance. And so and I can't do Oathbringer yet because I haven't finished it yet. Now you've read Elantris twice and that's <laughs> what you got to signature. Oh, uh, I'm so excited maybe, to talk about this today. Maybe we could get Dan Wells to sign your Elantris. There we go. All right. Let's dive in. And full spoilers for Elantris. We went a little light on them in our panel. Mm -hmm. So full spoilers right off the bat. During the live portion of our panel, I I vagued about a moment in the book that made me just burst into tears. Emily, would you like to guess what that moment was? Um, I can't because you told me what it was. Ah, What's wrong with me? Why can't I save entertaining things for the podcast? You're just so eager and earnest. I'm going to leave a space right here, and I need you all to guess out loud. Emily, what did I... Okay, here's your space. Ready? Time's up, Emily. What was it? It was the death of um, Harathan. Yeah. It got me. Like... Like, you know, I'm reading and it's sad and, oh, he's going. And then just the final moment, I I had to close the book and have a little bit of a cry. Not as much as you did that one time over that one character, but similar vibes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we talked a little bit about this as well with the, with the live read. But the way that Brandon brought this character around, he, mm-hmm. he started off as my least favorite um just like someone that i'm just like oh we have to yeah yeah i'm like oh we have to read his point of view again because he does start off as very fanatical very stereotypical very you know you're just like oh i know how this guy (laughs) yeah i know how this man's story is going to go that's what it feels like at the beginning and then brandon does what he always does which is yank the rug out from underneath you when you're just not expecting it Ugh, and 
Okay, one of the things that I think really helps Frathen's turnabout is having Diloph there for comparison. Are you sure it's Diloph? Yes, because we are an (laughs) all-ages appropriate podcast. That if it was, if if Harathen was the most extreme person we met, he would be much more dislikable. But that's why you got to throw in a Moash to make your Kaladins <laughs> look good. <laughs> oh, listeners, guess oh, what listeners. my sister did to me? Hey, in... <laughs> but you've learned. You've learned your lesson. All I did, you? all I did was reach out and say. How are you doing? How are things going? I How's the you? most stressful week of your episode going? And I was like, how do you think it's going, Emily? How do you think? And so, so I sent her sexy Moash fan She art. punished me and sent me a sexy Moash picture and said, this is your punishment for interrupting my week. And I said, my only crime was I loved you. Listen, when you know I'm busy... Don't ask, are you busy? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, Emily. Through no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. Just because of the confluence of times and seasons. Seven people have asked me for things this week. Oh. Big things. And if I... Things big enough that if I say no, I would sound a bit of an... Okay. Elantris. Elantris. <laughs> Hrathen. Diloph. Let's talk about the the Hrathen disguising himself as an Elantrian oh, storyline. Oh my gosh. Super smart. Super <sighs> sneaky. Super underhanded. Like so I was cool. so worked up at that point because I, I think I had recalled this from when I read it 10 plus years ago that that is what was going on at that point. And I'm just like, oh, You've thought of everything. This is horrible. You're terrible. If you were only on our side, this would be the coolest thing ever. Someone is on our side. (laughs) But I enjoyed that. I think that's a great skill to have as as a writer. To give your readers admiration for the antagonist. Because you can, it's easy to just yeah. make him hate him, hate him, hate him, hate him, hate him. But if you can get your readers to sit back and go, oh my gosh, that yeah. was super smart. And I wish we'd thought of it. I wish we could figure this out. Because no one, no one in their right mind would try to get into Elantris. And that's what yeah. sells it, I think, really, really well, is that he does a thing that one, no one expects, one, no one would ever mm-hmm. in their right mind do. And he pulls it off. And it's... It's good. Yeah. And like going through the book again, seeing how early on in the story he starts planning for this. Like when he captures, when he has the guard give him the captured Elantrian and he starts asking extreme specifics about what point does your hair fall out? What point does your skin change? What does this feel like? What is this like? And that like, yeah, what you're saying about an intelligent villain, him, this is feeding into when him and Sereni first see each other. Mm-hmm. And she, by acting silly, by acting stupid, kind of uh, derails his public sermon. Mm-hmm. He is not a villain that throws a tantrum or antagonist that throws, listen, villain. He starts out the villain. He's, villain, yeah. He's not a tantrum thrower. He's not a storming through his lair, tossing, breaking things on the floor. He kind of salutes her, job well done. Mm-hmm. 
And then a couple weeks later at a party, he slightly undercuts her. And I, I listen, I don't ship them. I love the Harathan Serene uh, interplay we get just because, you know, the two of them interact a lot more than they do with Rayodin. Mm-hmm, he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of on the outs of this triangle. And yeah. it's, it's good. It's really good. And that's, that, I say it's fun. Like you were saying, Serene and Harathan interacting on a daily basis almost. Like in, I would feel like in any other book out today, any sort of like YA book, it would become mm-hmm. a love triangle. Yeah. Um, and I love that it is just, I hate you and you're doing everything you can to undermine me unless I can get mm-hmm. to it first. I just, I do, I'm, I'm with yeah, you. I don't yeah. ship them, but I love this dynamic that they have of trying to undercut each other for the good of, it's not just a personal vendetta. It's mm-hmm. okay. The fate of the kingdom is at stake. The fate of the world is at stake. Sort of thing. oh. Can I jump into something that you talked about at the panel where you talked about yeah. the fate of the world? Being... Yeah, the the fabric of the universe being imperiled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were so many levels of that. And I hope we remember to talk about this with Tress as well, because I also had some thoughts about Tress when we talk about it. Tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, so this is going to sound like a weird tangent, but I'm just go with me. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm on board. I don't care how far afield we go. This, I am invested in this tangent. One of the reasons I feel that Buffy the Vampire Slayer television show works so well is that a lot of times the monster of the week issue, problem, whatever, mirrors a real life problem that Buffy is having. And so not Mm -hmm. only is the fate of the world, you know, at risk every week or the fate of Sunnydale but it's also like Buffy's social life Buffy's grades Buffy's personal life and to have that mirror everything fits really well because it gives us multiple levels of tension um I'm I'm paralleling this with Peter Parker as Mm Spider-Man that like the reason why I think Spider-Man one of the reasons why Spider-Man is such a beloved hero is that being a hero destroys his personal life. If Peter Parker is being very good at being Spider-Man, he's in trouble with Aunt May, he's falling behind at school, and and Mary Jane won't marry him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe not all in the same story. Um, <laughs> like when Bruce Wayne is very good at being Batman, he's also very good at being Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne is his cover. And like Clark Kent is Superman's cover. Mm-hmm. But like... Peter Parker is just who Spider-Man is when he's not Spider-Man. And it's the life he has to live in. And there are huge consequences to being Spider-Man in his personal life, which isn't necessarily connected to Elantris. But that's something that is something that I feel makes your hero more endearing is that by doing good for others puts them in a hard space, Mm -hmm. rough space. And so I am going to bring this back to Alondra. You're amazing. With You're incredible. The, thank you. With the way that there are multiple levels of peril throughout this, throughout this thing. It's, it's on a personal level. Prince Rayodin's life is upended. He has, mm-hmm. 
he has no more life as he as he knows it but that is dead sulu (laughs) (laughs) but that also goes up to the kingdom now like there's a lot more there's tons of issues now that his dad doesn't have a smart heir in line for the throne and then hrathen comes in and we realize not only is the kingdom in peril but like this is this kingdom is just one step on the way to like global domination of this religion of this ruler of this god that wants you know in on everything and so brandon again has done a wonderful job of there are so many things in peril and because we care about one of them it leaks through it 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 infuses everything else i got a piece of writing advice this week Mm -hmm. that just changed how i think about pacing Mm mm-hmm and it was in my Bridge 4 Discord. So shout out to our Miss Mivy listeners who are also part of the Bridge 4 Discord. This NaNoWriMo, okay, I didn't finish NaNoWriMo. I made it about 30% of the way, which is great. That's the most I've gotten in like a decade. Um, it was really, really nice to have this tiny group of friends all doing different goals of NaNoWriMo together. Mm-hmm. And... Somebody in the group brought up, hey, I am having a hard time pacing out the plot. Uh, They're like, I feel like I'm really good at character, but I'm not as solid as plot. And like working in consequences and cleanup to when something huge happens. And somebody just brought up that like, hey, you can introduce a problem without resolving it right away. And in fact, the more prob- the more chapters you go without solving this problem while the characters are earnestly trying to, that will make it feel more serious and more difficult to your audience. So like the characters don't even have to do much in the way of solving their problem. But as long as they like bring it up and they're constantly working towards it, mm. when they finally do get the resolution, it'll feel much more like satisfying to the audience instead of introduce a problem, finish that problem in a chapter, introduce another problem, finish that problem in a chapter. And so I'm like, okay, I guess that means I can't just throw in an explosion whenever I want when I'm like, (laughs) things are getting dull in Jedi Scavenger. (laughs) Uh, So the overarching problem in Elantris is magic doesn't work anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that you've read this book before, but on your second reading, knowing the solve, Mm -hmm. were you able to pick up the hints throughout the book leading to the solution? And was it as satisfying on a second read when you knew what the solve was? Yes. So one thing that will automatically make me admire a writer is their ability to foreshadow without being mm-hmm. so heavy handed. Jim Butcher is amazing at this. Um, oh, yeah. We've got uh, <gasps> Megan Whalen Turner. Of, sorry, speaking of Jim Butcher, okay. pin, pin your thoughts so hard. There was an amazing Dresden cosplayer at Dragon's There was. He had the splatter con, uh, hello, hi, my name is I'm an innocent bystander mm-hmm. sticker. He had fake IDs made. For, like, Harry Dresden, one of them with Jim Butcher's picture on it, and one of them with um, Blackthorn's photo on it, uh, who played Dresden in the sci-fi series. 
And he just had all these incredible small details to his costume. Shout out that it was guy. Great. It was great. He was cool. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Back to Madeline. Were you saying Madeline Langle? Uh, no, I was saying uh, Megan Whalen Turner. Megan Whalen Turner. Uh, Naomi Novik. So, like, people who can foreshadow stuff without being heavy handed. I admire that so much. And so, going through and reading this stuff with the Launtress again, knowing how it's going to end, I was like, oh, wow, this is super early. Like, he. Some some writers kind of save all their important information for the end, and that gets kind of like bogged down and heavy. But Brandon puts everything like for me at least, uh, pretty evenly spaced out. Like we meet the kid at the very beginning, and you know th- the one that is the Elantrian that they've kept hidden for so long. Yeah, and and I like how he said Rayodin is always trying to figure out what's going on he's always trying to grasp for some little piece of information and and having read it once and know what it is I like it almost drove me crazy I'm like you're so close you're so close keep going keep trying there okay when Rayodin was talking about farming near the beginning when he was trying to figure out okay what is farming going to be like here in Elantris mm-hmm. he mentioned He'd been talking to someone in the court, uh, a merchant who was, like, really struggling because uh, because of an earthquake some years ago. That guy now had a huge chasm through the middle of where yeah, his farm used to right be. From the beginning. I was like, that's the thing! <laughs> it was so fun to be able to spot those fence posts, you know, that were leading you down the road. Um, so that was that was really, really fun. Because, like, one thing I struggle with is I know the ending, and so I'm always afraid of, like, I'm being too obvious when I put this here. It's too obvious. And my writer's group is just, like, we completely missed that. You need to make it more obvious. And so, you know, Brandon has a lot of, I mean, like, Megan, you had said this, even though this is his first published novel, it's not his mm-hmm. first novel. He'd written, I think this was the 11th, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's had he'd had practice doing this and had really like worked this skill up. So, yeah. So yeah, picking, picking things up the first time that you knew were coming, like having it be a more delicious book to read on the second reread. Mm -hmm. There is a scene that really hit me emotionally this time through that I was very surprised about. And it was when Rayodin steps into the clean chapel for the first time. And, like, the feeling that hits him and he's praising this guy and he's admiring the beauty. And then after the guy leaves, when Rayodin catches his reflection. And it, just that moment of being in this beautiful, clean, gorgeous space and then seeing something that to him was like, ugh. I don't know. Just the the vibes in that scene really hit me. And I was mm-hmm. like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And... Kind of along those same lines, uh, one of the scenes I wanted to talk about is the, now I can't remember, who's who's the, one of the war lords? Oh, Tayod. Tayod. That the, Ta- the little kid? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. I was thinking about the guy who used to be a sculptor. Yeah. And, and the scene where Randon talks him down by being like, you want to be a baron in here, but... Oh my gosh, you are the only person here who could appreciate Elantris. But no, you're talking about the different warlord, the kid. The kid, yeah. So 
with Rayodin's kind of ray of sunshine, like everything's going to be okay. We, I feel as the audience are spared a lot of the horrors of Elantris. Um, like we see it, but we don't really experience it in full panoramic vista view vision, uh, which I appreciated as a reader, just like, hey, this vista is a terrible place. Vision. We're going to kind of slide you into this. and but But from a perspective of someone who doesn't understand it, but has to live in the thing and you've got to admit Rayodin's like way of living is very um infectious is. <laughs> yeah <laughs> because I was gonna say Rayodin is the manic pixie dream girl in this book <laughs> yeah. he's the Disney he's the Disney prince mm -hmm. he like looks in your eyes and tells you something you already knew <laughs> but the way he says it makes you be like hey I have a name doesn't that make me somebody in particular, too? <laughs> and so, you know, you're just like, oh, all these poor people that, like, don't understand that this is the way to live and, and things like that. And, and I got pretty judgy. And then to have it revealed that one of the three leaders of Elantris is this kid what, that, to me, was one of the most horrible things of the whole book. Not because Brandon was a terrible writer when it came to this idea. Nothing like that, but just like the... Because the, the most horrible part is sacrificing a woman on the altar of misogyny. <laughs> that was the most horrible. <laughs> but no, it was it was a twist, gut punch, like, oh, yeah. a baby. A baby, because all the other kids have been taken care Are of. protected, mm -hmm. and they're being, yeah. And then this one's like, hello, naughty children. Welcome to Ender's Game, right? And so the idea that she has, I mean, like the idea of like the wig is what convinces everybody that she's, you know, this amazing goddess to be worshipped. And she has created kind of these mindless creatures as well. Um, and then she disappears, like, we don't, we never, like, they never find her body. Oh, oh, it was, it was so well done because the city is all about hope. But to find that, like, under this rock, there's like, and who hears an angel? <laughs> so I, I was very, I admired that aspect of it, that Brandon can just like on a dime change the mood. That's very well done. Mm-hmm. So in the space between my two readings, mm -hmm. I had completely forgotten about the fencing. Okay. Don't know why. Completely forgot about it. Fencing uh, is your favorite thing. Between ladies. The <laughs> topless lady dueling. No, all ages appropriate podcast. Uh, and to have the scene during one of the early fencing moments, to have the scene where the guy does the martial arts sequence in front of everybody i'm like brandon loves because in some books you haven't read this happens too okay loves somebody doing a physical exercise with weapons that would be absolutely useless in combat but looks cool mm -hmm. kata scenes are cool <laughs> yes oh i I have decided to pick up wushu classes again. Ooh. I took them 
for like three months before pandemic started and then I just stopped. But I'm going to start doing that along with aerial silks because it, mm-hmm. God, it's half the price of aerial silks. There so. you go. <laughs> Welcome <Hi>. back, everybody. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Third time's the charm. <laughs> My Wi-Fi went out. And Emily and I could have been happily, continually to chat separately, <laughs> just giving you our thoughts alone. <laughs> but this is a podcast that we do together. It's my sister made me view it, and then we talk about it as one. Not my sister made me view it, and then I creepily record her final video logs. We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, not the Magnus Archives. <laughs> the, the Magnus Archives. Uh, so I went to bed last night after my internet went out at 530. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, your video came up. Your face looks beautiful. Thank you. And I laid down in bed and I'm like, I'm okay. I normally set my music I listen to while I'm going to sleep. I set it for a 45 minute timer. I'm going to be ambitious tonight. I'm only going to set it for a half hour. I did not make it through one song. <laughs> <laughs> you are out. Yep. That's great. It's great. It's 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 great. Let's get back into Elantris. What did we talk about? What's the last thing we talked about? I don't even remember. Oh, babe, you are asking the wrong person for their <laughs> recollection of the night before because I opened up this file being like, we talked for half an hour? No, we, we talked a little bit about the characters. We talked a little bit about what we remembered from the first read-through being great for the second read-through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to point out how much Brandon Sanderson hates the color orange. Okay, talk about that. Because it's not, a, it's not a huge deal, but like generally if it's a garish or lesser liked character, they will wear orange. And when Serene delivers cloth to the elantrians oh yeah it's all like these hideous shades of orange and jumping back to tress because this is the elantress special hoid completely bereft of taste wears a bright orange shirt so (laughs) i would like to deduce brandon doesn't much care for the color orange i think that's a smart deduction what is it occam's razor yeah no yes yeah I like orange. Um, going back, okay, so <laughs> we've got, we talked about Serene and Harathan's kind of antagonistic relationship mm-hmm. back and forth. Now let's talk about Spirit and Serene's <gasps> antagonistic relationship back and forth. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> if Elantris <if a> was adapted <laughs> to anything, I would hope if it were episodic, that or even just two movies mm-hmm. the scene where the the one elantrians attack the food and serene is like you lied to I me yeah. i'm like that's the dramatic end to an episode for sure is things were going great and the audience is like just talk to each other you're married <laughs> and then they're like you lied to me and i'm like no Secret wife. Secret Secret wife. Secret wife. She's so secret she doesn't even know she's a wife. She's so secret he doesn't even know. Oh, no, he knows. He knows. (laughs) He knows. She doesn't. The the penultimate, the penultimate secret wife. 
Emily, tell me, tell me about Serenian Spirit. Um, I love them, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. I I'm I'm going to say this, and I'm just gonna state it. His optimism got on my nerves a little bit, just because I'm like nobody is that happy in this situation. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> he is very much. The perfect, he's the perfectest, perfectest person that's ever been. (laughs) But he's also kind of fun to read because that's new. Like, you don't get to read Mm -hmm. characters like that. I mean, Pollyanna is, I think, the only character (laughs) Uh (laughs) ever that has been like that. Um, But I love when she, when they're negotiating, he's like, we need metal, we need nails, we need all of these things. And... She's like, great, I'll get them to you. And, oh, hi, there's your face. Hi, hello. Um, You know, she gives them sheets of metal that are too thin for anything else. She gives them (laughs) tinfoil. And bent nails that are unusable, sort of, and... And she's like, and I've one-upped him. And, like, she's so proud of herself. And and he later reveals, like, we knew that's what you were going to do. And so we would try to... We would try to phrase things in a way like we knew you would give us rotten fish if we asked for fish or whatever and that's what we use for fertilizer like like we played you and instead of being offended she's actually one a little ashamed that these people were actual and real need and she was like kind of being juvenile about it but at the same time i think she was impressed i think that was a courting win in spirit's corner that you know she comes and she's like oh they use the the tiny thinnest sheets of metal to make a mirror like they they actually found uses for it and they use Uh the bent nails for what is it sculptures or carvings or something like Uh that i think it's carving yeah carvings so i i liked how ingenious and inventive spirit and the elantrians elantrians were Mm -hmm. so rayoden is I I would say if we were ranking goodness, I think he's the goodest character that Brandon has ever written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like and I said, I, and he's not, but he's not like I'm not saying that goodness is boring because I love Superman. Mm-hmm. He is a good character that is also deeply interesting to read, yes. and he also has like it's not that he just goes through his whole day like ah I, I just. All my wishes and dreams come true because if you wish upon a star, you no no no. But he's practical. But he's like, oh, I I've just decided not to give in to despair. I'm just gonna do it. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. so driven, and I like to read him. And you can, I think, because of those traits, he proves to us what a resourceful leader he would be. Like doing what he can with what he has. Um, he came from a lifetime of privilege and power. And anything mm-hmm. he wanted was at his fingertips. And I think his using what he has and and like boosting the confidence of other people proves that he is a capable leader. He's not just like all sunshine mm-hmm. and lollipops and rainbows. Yeah. He's yeah. He's smart and he's clever and crafty. And that's a great thing to have in a leader. So Rayodin was not born a prince. Right. His father became king after Elantris fell. Mm-hmm. So it's not that he's been royalty his whole life. He has been rich his whole life because mm-hmm. his, his dad was a very accomplished merchant. Um, 
I really love this prince-princess relationship between Raiden and Sereni because even though he did not become a prince until, you know, he was 10, or no, I don't know how old he was. How old was that guy? <laughs> You're the expert. <laughs> I didn't look it up. Sereni's 26, and I'm going to say he's between... An old maid. A spinster. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but her stuff about... I'm so clever, and I didn't realize what that was doing to my romantic chances mm-hmm. until it was too late. I'm like, hey. Okay, so, uh, Sereni is not inherently a good person. Right. Uh, Sereni does good, but I love her point of view and her, like, immense calculation of everyone around her mm-hmm. i gotta say i love the moment where after the huge attack happens when she storms into the king's room and screams at him until he breaks <laughs> down in tears <laughs> was so good okay because like she pretends to be an idiot and he buys it mm-hmm. and then she's like guess what loser i'm really smart take this trade or your kingdom's going to dissolve. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you fooled me. I won't be fooled again. And then she storms back in and she screams at him until he cries. And I was like, this is delicious. And then he murder cults, murders, <laughs> asking the gods to kill Serene for him. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, but anyway, so... I like the pairing of Sereni and Raiden because they are both very clever. They're both very good at reading people around them. And they are both dropped into these new, very unusual circumstances. And it's great to see both of these characters achieve their goals. And then when Spirit and Sereni do cross, their goals are at like such cross purposes. But the audience knows it's like, if you just talk to each other, <laughs> ah! That's a fun read. This That's book a is a read. great read. It is. And I think Sereni is probably my favorite Cosmere character. Nice. I love how smart she is. I I really tend to value that in other characters just because I wish I had more of that in my life. I am. We've talked about this before. I, I can't do chess. I can't think several moves ahead. I'm a very what's happening now in the moment sort of a person. And so for her to be able to think so far ahead and to plan for eight different outcomes um it was fun for me to read her um Mm -hmm. and and a lot of times i hate the trope of communicate if you just said three sentences to each other everything would be solved but i think it works here because rayodin knows and and the the one thing i didn't like is he makes the choice for her of just like well i'm not gonna tell her because What's the point? Because really, in their culture, what is the point of having an Elantrian for a husband? He's basically dead anyway. And so, yeah, when you read Spirit and Sereni talking to each other, it does add that extra delicious layer of experience because you just know. You you know so much of the background behind it. And I don't mm-hmm. think it would have been as, as fun if Spirit, if we hadn't known Spirit's yeah. identity. Identity. And like... You 100% get why he can't tell her. Because Raiden at this point is like, I am giving up. I am giving up my life outside. That's not my business anymore. 
I am Elantrian now and I'm going to help Elantrians and we're going to fix Elantris. And uh, something that I really loved was him admiring. You doing okay there? <laughs> it's stuck somehow. Is Wait, it in your on. shirt? No, it's wrapped around my chair. I'm so sorry. I like your shirt, by the way. I note you're wearing Rogers the Musical. <laughs> Thank you. Which, oh. listeners, if you aren't a patron, listen to our patron-only feed. Both of us have many thoughts about Rogers the Musical, but in a stunning turn of events, I think I enjoyed it more than Emily did. I think you did. <laughs> but this isn't that feed. Be a patron. Listen to Marvel. Um... It was really cool to me to see Rayodin being like, Sereni got all of these lords and nobles on her side, and I had to work for months and months. And there's one guy here that I talked to once and gave up on immediately, and she has him on her side. And he's like, ooh, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> my secret wife. <laughs> I, I enjoyed seeing his admiration for her because it is a political marriage and you know they were like well we did get to meet each other a little bit through letters and through our is it aeon or aeon i don't know how you say the i think it's aeon aeon okay I say aeon all right um <laughs> and i loved seeing him fall even deeper in love with her like their relationship shifted through the book it never stayed static um, and I, I just, I liked that. I liked that kind of going on behind the scenes. Brandon has so much going on in every oh, single time. scene in this yeah. book, and it's a delight. Mm-hmm. So, Sereni decides to get married to a really old guy. Mm-hmm. And she lifts up her veil the day of her wedding to reveal... She's an Elantrian! Oh my gosh! Ah! <laughs> and she gets chucked into Elantris. Now, listeners, why are you listening to this if you haven't read the book? It's a trick. She's been fake Elantrian poison because Hrathen... Okay, again, these three characters whose plots are like feeding off of each other. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about Hrathen and off in a second. All right. But like, Hrathen originally planned to poison Diloph into a fake Elantrian. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, that's not going to work anymore. And so he's like, hmm, who should I do? And he poisons Sereni and turns her into a fake Elantrian. And, and waits Sereni- for the best moment. Like, talk about a shocking reveal. Drama! <laughs> and then she gets to go to Elantris mm-hmm. and hang out with Spirit and find out some more things about him mm-hmm. so emily do you want to talk about spirit showing Sereni around elantris so my favorite part is when he's showing her all the things that they've done with what she gave them because yeah. they they know her identity yeah um, and i just i i love the flip-flop in not oh how the mighty have fallen that's not what i'm saying but just the idea of oh this is all because of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this shouldn't be my favorite. So this isn't my favorite part, but it is a standout moment for him where his spirit is like, so what's happening outside of Lantris? And Serenity's like, well, the king killed himself. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like the biggest bombshell like, you can drop. What? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he was, um, 
He was murdering a girl in an attempt to have the mysteries, the Jeskery mysteries, uh, strike me down. And uh, everybody found out. Oops. He messed around and found out. Yeah. And then he finds out she was getting married to someone else. He's like, <laughs> hey, I'm, um, so I don't know much about wedding contracts, but wouldn't your wedding contract specifically contradict that? Serena's like, yeah, well, he's dead too. Oh, <laughs> uh, Brandon's plan worked a little too well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love the the cascading frying pan into the fire we get both from the three main characters' roles interacting with each other Mm -hmm. and also, like, the main characters' plans falling apart. So, like, okay, I would would like to say that... Okay, I see that your hand is raised. I'm going to say a phrase and then it's your turn to talk. I feel like Elantris is definitely the most tightly complex book mm-hmm. that Brandon has done because in in the vaster way of kings that we've been reading um the main characters actions don't uh affect each other as stringently as strictly as they do in this book so i think the plotting in this book is very tight and very enjoyable to read yes just talking about the plot where Harathan, you know elantrifies sereni and like she is about to reach like the point of everything the the wedding is you know them coming together remind me if i'm if i'm wrong but her being married and combining their forces would have meant that they were now the rulers of the kingdom because that's how this works. Mm-hmm. And so she's done it. She's won. She fixed and then, it. Fixed it. And then Harathan swoops in and it's just like, wahahaha. Um, and the the thing that was killing me, because it's it's not so much, you know, like the ticking time bomb where there's the countdown going down on the book. There's multiple countdowns going on at this point. <laughs> and they keep expiring. <laughs> yes. And so yeah. the part that was killing me as the reader is you know that Serini is not truly an Elantrian. And mm-hmm. and she's only there for, what, five days? Which yeah. seems an eternity in this book. But there's all these, there's all these clues that what she's going through is not really the plague. I know it's not the plague, but like her hair is growing back. She bumps her elbow. It doesn't hurt. Like like these things that that check off the boxes of what it means to be a Lantrian, she is only looking like one, but no one is putting the pieces together that this could be anything but what it is. And mm-hmm. and so as a reader, I'm just dying to be like, no, put the pieces together. Put the pieces together. There's nothing to put together for them because There's that's nothing to put together. Yeah. <laughs> Diloff. Diloff as a villain is so good because Mm -hmm. Harathan, obviously the main villain of the book when he shows up and he's like, oh, and now I have this, uh, now I have this henchman, this young, dumb henchman who like believes in our religion, maybe a little too much. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Mm -hmm. And as it as it goes forward and Harathan's like, okay, well, I'll use him for this and I'll use him for this and I'll point him in this direction. The chapter where Harathan realize like tries to send Dilof off on yeah. a mission. Yeah. Yeah. And Dilof's like, that I'm taking all of my apprentices with me. And Harathan's like, How many do you have? 
And he's like, 30? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's gamed the system. Yeah. And and then Harathan has underestimated this guy severely. Mm-hmm. That Diloph is older than he appears. Diloph is more experienced than he appears. And Diloph is not a fanatical loner, but he is an immense threat mm-hmm. to Hrathen's immediate <gasps> goals and power. And that was so good. <laughs> it was so good because, like, he he comes in out of nowhere almost. He's been there the whole time. And you realize too late with Hrathen how much of a problem this dude is. And to see such an intelligent antagonist be undermined by an almost maybe more intelligent antagonist... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Dang, this book is good. Mm-hmm. All right. So the past few years, I've shifted away from having people start with Elantris, and I've been trying to bully people into starting with Way of Kings. <laughs> and I've I've got to go back to my original system of getting people into Elantris first. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it hooks you. Mm-hmm. And... If you, oh, do you love, do you love Rayodin? Let me introduce you to Rayodin, but sad in Kaladin. <laughs> do you love Sereni? Well, here, come on over and hang out with Vivenna and uh, Siri for a while, mm-hmm. which is like, <laughs> if Sereni was split into two people and one, yeah. Uh, so let's, let's rank, let's rank some Elantris characters uh, against the Cosmere as a whole. Okay. So you've mentioned that Rayodin is your favorite Cosmere. Sorry, Sereni is your favorite Cosmere character. Mm-hmm. Are Sereni and Rayodin your favorite Cosmere couple? Um. Okay, this is going to sound weird. I would rank their relationship above them being a couple. I know that maybe doesn't make sense, but I love their, their, when she doesn't know that she's married to him. Like, that's my favorite part. But my favorite couple is still going to be Adolin and Shallan. I love them Great. so much. They're my favorite couple. Yeah, I would. I really love Siri and Susabron. Mm-hmm. And I do really like Vin and Eland. But Ser- Serene and Rowian are up there. They're in my top five for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to reread Mistborn because. Yeah. <laughs> Emily, Megan, I would love so much to do one podcast episode per Mistborn book Mm -hmm. like this. Yes. If only to get you to read Mistborn Era (laughs) 2, who has my favorite Cosmere character of all time. Wayne. Waxilium. Oh. (laughs) I love Wax so much. He's Cosmere Vimes. And I'm obsessed with him. <laughs> he is my... Listen, you know how the Tumblr girlies are going for Pedro Pascal these days? Yes, hard. And how they are about the Our Flag Means Death middle-aged men? That was me for Wax when I first started reading these books. And now I am super age-appropriate for him. <laughs> and... 
But those books also have, I'm not going to tell you what, they also have, you know, I take it back. They have my top Cosmere couple in, in Mistborn era too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so we talked about villains. couples. Oh, go ahead. I'm oh, yeah. so sorry. We, sorry. We talked about couples. Mm-hmm. We mentioned a bit about characters. Villains. Who is the scariest Cosmere villain to you right now? Tara Vangian. Love it. Love mm-hmm. it. Just because Terevangian. he's oh, so sorry, you go. nobody knows what he's doing and he's doing it too well. And so our heroes don't even know there's a problem. And that is scary to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, that's that's one of the other things that's really great about Elantris is, yes, fabric, universe, magic, world changing. But the stage on which Elantris takes place is quite small. It's mm-hmm. mainly Elantris in the city right outside it. There are other world powers and other nations that come into effect, but it is a very concentrated area of effect where most of this is happening. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I was going to ask you for like, oh, what if Teravangian replaced Hrathen in this book? Or what if Hrathen was trying to do his bit in Way of Kings? How do you think Hrathen would do stacked up against the main cast of Way of Kings? Uh, I think he would get away with it for a while. But I, not that I'm saying the characters in Way of Kings are smarter, but I feel like you've got Navani, you've got Dalinar, you've got Yasna, you have all of these people who have to think eight steps ahead of each other. Even more so than I think Sereni has. Because Sereni is wonderful, but she she still, I would say, world experience compared to Navani, Yasna, Dalinar, she would rank much lower. I think that they would catch on to Harathan a little faster. Mm-hmm. I think Teravangian okay. would wipe the floor with everybody if he were in Elantris. Yeah. But, you know, he also was granted immense magical knowledge let's talk about magic let's talk about the elantrian magic system Mm -hmm. picture based Uh, picture based do you want me to tell you the plot of (laughs) elantrian i believe what i had to for was the magic (laughs) i want to explain my my way of thinking there is because the magic is so heavily intertwined with the plot and mm-hmm. so I didn't know how to explain it without also just telling the plot of Elantris. That's that's why I said those things at the live read. Yeah, th- that makes perfect sense. So uh, both of these, ma- sorry, I say both. This is primarily a Stormlight Archive podcast. So unlike Mistborn Era 1, where magic is hereditary, mm-hmm. uh, listen, caveat asterisk footnote footnote you guys get it um where the magic system begins primarily hereditary in mistborn uh in way of kings and in elantris the magic system chooses you yes but in way of kings it's very one-on-one where a very specific spread now we're primarily talking about the knight's radiant surge binding stuff a a one-on-one bond has to be formed and oaths have to be spoken. But in Elantris, you just get, it's like a lottery system and you go to the city. And there is a hereditary geographical, whatever, indication. But Emily, tell me about Seons versus Spren and what you think about those. Okay, because that was something, I'm glad you brought that up because they seem incredibly similar. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they have slightly different functions but i mean like a companion a small ball of light this you know a, a gust of wind you know these sort of things and i wonder if they're i say related or like distant cousins or whatever because like we'll talk about with trust they mention so many different types of different magics you know we've got the the awakening and we have the breath and we have you know the aeon drawings the elantrian drawings and things like that and I'm I'm so intrigued because again, okay, you turned me into a cosmic scholar. I'm I'm that on my so way exciting. to one where you have oh shoot, I've lost it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Spren. Oh, the Elantrians just waking up to, you know, their old life, they go to sleep, they wake up, there's something new, they're an Elantrian. Compare that to Warbreaker when someone dies, sometimes they are chosen to become an is it an awakened? Is that what they call them? Wait, awakened are very specifically a warbreaker thing. Were you talking yes, warbreaker? I was. Okay, yeah. Were you yes. thinking about your fan fiction? No, actually, I was <laughs> looking up some Cosmere knowledge that I'm going to impart upon you now that you are a scholar. <laughs> Although, since you asked, <laughs> as soon as I we're done podcasting today, I'm finishing up. I finally finished the the sexy CPR scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I've got to do some of the aftermath and, and get someone locked in a prison cell by the end of the lesson. Uh. <laughs> if you become a Patreon patron, maybe someday I'll do dramatic readings of this for you guys. <laughs> nice. But back to back to Warbreaker. Um, where that also seems very similar. And so you tell me there's only there's more than one type of magic on Roshar. Uh-huh. But I'm thinking in the Cosmere, there has got to be like an origin that has like either hit all these planets and they've evolved all to be something a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, it, it's easy to see the connections, different connections. Uh-huh. And we talked about, it's not that Brandon Sanderson has run out of ideas. It's not that it's, I feel there's a theme going on here. There's a, there's some foreshadowing going on here. And I, I am excited to find out more and to always have more. Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> So we've, I joke about there's two kinds of magic on Roshar. There, there's more than one kind of magic on Roshar. There's not just two. There's more than one kind of magic on Roshar. There are specifically two types of magic on Cell. Mm -hmm. Because Emily, you have read The Emperor's Soul, correct? Yes. That is, that is very different. Still picture based, Mm -hmm. but very different from this. So I am going to tell you. I'm going to tell you some Elantris things. All right. Tell me. So on Roshar, who is dead? Sorry. Say that Sorry. again. Specifically on Roshar, there's a very important magical being who is now dead. Who oh, is that? Honor. Sorry. Your, right. your sound cut out for a second. I I, okay. I knew the answer. <laughs> on Skadriel, do you remember the proper noun people that were on Skadriel? Which one's Skadriel? Oh, sorry. Uh, Inquisitorville. Inquisitorville. Yeah. The Mistborns. Yeah. Uh, the, the, sorry, the words I'm looking for are ruin and rain. Preservation. <laughs> and eventually <laughs> harmony. Oh, you do need to reread Mistborn. This will be so fun. Okay. Uh, honor. And then th- there's a big bad guy in the Cosmere Odium. that we've heard of a few times. Odium. And... You guessed, 
you guessed a name once of someone in the Cosmere, and you were totally right. I'm not going to include it in the list, but we've got we've got honor, ruin, preservation, odium, uh, eventually harmony. Mm-hmm. There were named beings involved in the magic on Roshar. I mean, Cell. <laughs> and specifically, someone called Devotion is now dead. Okay. And Devotion died a very, very, very long time ago. And so it wasn't like Honor, who like was worshipped by the people and was like known and stuff. Uh, Devotion was splintered thousands. You know, she was just so long ago. People didn't know Cell. But... Is that where the, the 16 shards come from? No. Okay. But there, in that letter to Hoyd that we read, mm-hmm. that in the aftermath of Race, who is now Odium, in the aftermath of Race's visit to Cell, Aona and Skye are both dead, dead, and that which they held has been splintered. So these two very powerful people were killed by Odium. They were splintered. And just like the child's first laughter breaking into a thousand pieces. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> the one's skipping about. But something that's very important is when Odium splintered these people. And I'm sorry, this is like, this is, you're like, where, where is that written? Where is that in the book? Don't even worry about it. Okay. okay remember, there's a spiritual realm, a cognitive realm, and a physical realm. Mm-hmm. And cognitive realm are typically where the sprint are. Yeah. Spiritual realm, we know the least about. Mm -hmm. Physical realm, we live there. That's great. And you've been learning more about the cognitive realm as you go through A Way of Kinks. So when Odium splintered Aona and Skye, he basically trapped their power in the cognitive realm. And the geography of the cognitive realm ties to the physical realm, Mm -hmm. which we've seen when Shalon and Yasna have gone in there. So... These two beings together, their power trapped in the in the cognitive realm, where Cell is, is what is creating the door, D-O-R, which was talked about a lot in Elantris. And the reason why the magic for Elantris is so physically tied there is that is the location in the cognitive realm where the splinters of devotion are still there. Okay. And so that is why the seons are so very much like spren is they are manifestations of something powerful in the cognitive realm coming in to the physical realm. There you go. Now you know a lot about magic. Yes. What happened to Harathan's seon? The one in the box. I don't know. <laughs> She's still there? I don't know. Was it? Elantris 2 and Warbreaker 2 have been <laughs> promised to us many times over many years. I actually do not know what happened to Hrathen's, Uh Maybe there's a word of Brandon. I was about to say, I'm see if there's a word of Brandon, because I've, I've been worried about her this whole time. Hrathen's Seon. Hrathen's Seon is a magical spell, uh, is a magical being on cell that is used by Hrathen for communication purposes. History, he used her to contact Wern. She was used to contact Fion. Her fate after Harathan's death is not known. <gasps> Brandon. Maybe, okay. Wait a listen. second. 
What? Wait a second. There's what? a trivia section that I was like, excuse me? Why would... Okay, trivia. da 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 da, da. <laughs> Just a second. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Is that a word of Brandon or is that fan hopes and wishes? Oh, it's in the Elantris annotations. <gasps> I didn't reread the annotations. What's wrong with me? Okay. Emily. Megan. In 2005. <laughs> okay. On his website, Brandon made a chapter by chapter annotation of Elantris. <gasps> I'm going to link you to those. It's very great. It's just like a paragraph or two at the end of each chapter. He's done the same with Warbreaker and with Mistborn. And I was just an idiot and didn't reread those before we did this podcast. (laughs) Okay. Here is the annotation for chapter 31. As a side note, and this is is specifically about Prathen's Sion. So here's 30 and 31. Okay. What happened in chapter 30? Oh, no, sorry. This is chapter 12. Okay, so this is really this is really easy. Uh, and also, the annotations are super full of spoilers, so if it's your first time through the book, don't read them. Okay. I didn't originally intend for Rathen to have a Sion. However, as I was working on this chapter, I realized how much sense it made. It lends a bit of hypocrisy to the Dorethi religion, and I found that I liked it a great deal. The Sion also allowed me to move more quickly with Rathen's plans. I couldn't have made the storyline nearly as compact if Rathen the Thin didn't have access to a Sion. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Rathen's plan to get the Elantra's poison. Yeah. As a side note... I'm planning this Seon here to make an appearance in the sequel, if I write one. She would be Adian's own Seon, which is the son that was always, that was secretly an Elantrian. Oh, yay! Yay! Uh, Wait, so he would he be the hero it? of you the sequel to... along with his brother and sister. Sorry, you what were you going to say? You have to pass it on, like, it, it, like pass with a capital P. So hmm. how does he get it? Because he, maybe if he frees her? Just a sec. Uh... Uh, for those of you who think I didn't deal enough with the Seons in this book, the sequel would have strong focus on them. In fact, I'm tempted to make this Seon a viewpoint character. <gasps> However, that would bump me up to four characters and wouldn't let me use the same chapter triad system. Because uh, those three cousins of Sereni's would be the three main characters I of any sequel. I love them. I love yeah. them. They were adorable. I'm going to link you to these annotations. Thank you. So you can read them. And I'm going to give them to you on, you can you can still find them on Brandon's website. I'm going to give them to you on the Coppermind page because they're all listed. Okay. Sorry, I'm typing a little bit while we're podcasting. I'll edit it Okay, out. there you go. After Harathan's death, that Seon would be rescued by, what's his face? That one. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> and would become a major character oh, in the sequel. I love that. I love that. Like, okay, here's the thing. I think sometimes I'm super guilty of falling in this trap. If you read something good or you watch something good or you you see beautiful whatever. And my initial reaction is always like, I want more of this, please. Like, give me more. Mm-hmm. And... I can see how that would cause issues sometimes where like the author's like, okay, so one of the, one of my biggest examples is Sunshine by Robin McKinley. 
It is yes. very clearly it's a standalone. It's so good. It's, so good. it's a standalone <laughs> book, and she yeah. has said like, "There's not a sequel. It is this is the book. This is it. This is what you get." But she's created such a vibrant, incredible world, and I think I. If I ever did a panel on world building, it would all be about that book, the way that she she introduces things and, and just like drops little gems here and there. Anyway, um, but like Elantris is a standalone book. Technically, it's done. Like the, the story is done. That's it. But there's so much room for more that of course we want more, but like Brandon is great because he's like, if I can find the right story, if I decide to do this, like clearly he's still trying to figure out the best way to tell the story. And it's hard with a book series because you're just waiting on one person to write something and to do it when they're clearly in the middle of 19,000 other projects. Which is why Brandon has started co-writing more often. Mm -hmm. So he worked with Jancy Patterson to finish off the... Um, Alcatraz versus the Evil Librarian series. Jancy mm-hmm. is an amazing writer. And I did saw you her at Dragon's Steel. Panel? No, you didn't because there were spoilers. Because there were spoilers. There. Okay. Yeah. She was on the Brandon's Bestiary panel. Uh, but yeah, you saw her at Dragon's Steel. And uh, he's also been co writing projects um, with Dan Wells. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are more hands helping getting more Cosmere stories out. But speaking of Cosmere stories, I got to grab something. And okay. I don't have very long cord on these headphones okay are they isn't it now emily you have read emperor's soul we have not recorded our episode on that because i was lax on getting everyone together but emily have you read the hope of elantris in your arcanum unbound no you haven't given me permission yet listeners <laughs> review the tape i have specifically told emily to read arcanum unbound no except you... for i said you could read everything except for the misborn stuff i don't remember that i told you to take that book <laughs> off your shelf and read it so it is a short story and the framing of it is it's it's about ashy uh sereni's seon mm-hmm and it talks about what happens to the kids in Elantris during the final Sanderlanch. Oh. Because we didn't reach in and we didn't check on them. And Ashy ends up uh, helping with the the story of what happens with the with the children in New Elantris. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, at the end, we find out that Dilaf sends soldiers in to kill everybody. Yeah, all Do the people love- that we love, and and yep. and that to me was the worst part of the whole book. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Diloth is a spy. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? And he looks young, but he is not. Dilov can use the magic system. He uses the door mm-hmm. in order to remove Rayodin's disguise at one point. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Dilov ends up being like huge, huge trouble. A huge problem in yeah. the sa- He's the main reason for the Sanderledge because 
Well, well, each of the characters have kind of like their own little timed-based challenges. You know, Harathan's got his his 90 days, uh, whatever. Um, Harathan thought he was being sent in there as the main guy. But in fact, Wern sent Harathan in as a decoy to get everyone else off of Diloph's back because Diloph is secretly the guy in charge of the Wern's true goal, which is complete genocide of anyone of Aeonic descent. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so Diloph is like, oh, yeah, because this will take out everyone who could become an Elantrian. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, yeah. Anyway, Harath is like, I'm the main bad guy. <laughs> and Diloph is like, you are my problem, actually. <laughs> That, to me, okay, so one of our really good friends, Megan, Jessica, is mm-hmm. really getting into Lower Decks. We were talking about this the other day. <gasps> I love that show! <laughs> and we were talking about how great it's set up because it's a goof-goof, irreverent, off-the-wall, weird Banana. little huh. corner of Star Trek. And then something major will happen like some really big thing and because the tone of the whole show has been goof goof fun times lower decks lower decks lower decks when like a whole ship explodes it's like triple the hit because that's not this kind of show is it it's not you know and and so the idea of like this feels like a political thriller this elantris where it's you know, you're always trying to be one step ahead of each other. And there are rules that everybody kind of follows. Like you have to, like Serene works within the rules of she pretends to be a stupid, stupid girl so that the king pays no attention to her. Like she works within those rules. But Diloph is not beholden to those rules. And so, Mm-mm. of course, he comes in and slaughters all the characters we've grown to know and love in Elantris. Mm-hmm. And it's devastating because if he'd come in from the beginning and and Rayodin walks into a city full of dead Elantrians we would have been like oh okay I guess that's sad you know but because we know all of these people and like have seen them come from the depths of despair to I could be happy and live my life and then their lives are cut short <gasps> Brandon yeah. this actually might be the worst thing you've done <laughs> that and Tiern. Some guy named Tear. <laughs> yes. Okay, like it. Uh. So when stuff pops off in the Sanderlanch, it just goes goes hard. Let's talk about the Sanderlanch. So Rathen fails spectacularly all the time to the point where Rayodin gets crowned king as an Elantrian, <laughs> and Dealoff is like enough <laughs> and uh Diloph uh Diloph is like hey guess what I it's me hi I'm the problem it's me he's been smuggling warrior monks into the country for months mm-hmm. weeks and not only that but Hrathen like kneels in front of Diloph because Hrathen is very logic-based and Hrathen is very... Okay. Quick, quick sidebar. Okay. So, Serini's cousin, who's been in Elantrian the whole time, 
um, is was intended to be written as an autistic character. Mm -hmm. And Brandon has since said he doesn't feel like he hit that character quite right. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally feel that personally. Harathan, <laughs> I personally feel that Harathan is the most uh, what feels like an authentically autistic character in the story. Mm -hmm. That he's very good at logic and rules. He's he does feel emotion deeply, but he's not driven by his emotion the way he notices other people in his religion are. And, um, it, it, he's, he is a lawful character and he loves the structure. He loves the rules. And then like in the Sander Lynch, when he breaks from it to be like, no, this is what I actually, anyway, I love Harathan. So Harathan kneels to Diloph and Diloph is like, warrior monks attack. Mm -hmm. Evelyn, tell me about your feelings. I, you did some like seeing these characters you love get killed, but tell me about tell me about the Sanderlanch. Um, really quick, what what page is that that part on? I want it. The monks freaked me out. The warrior monks. Yeah. Um, it's it's in. I'm I don't have a page number, but like chapter fifty seven, fifty eight, I think. Okay. So okay, but I need you to explain to me what. Diloph transforms into I understand it's the warrior monks and they undergo something but like it changes them physically it's not just like oh we take oaths to become this class of monk yes so his arms are akin okay so this happened to him a long time ago um he is and it, he usually like wears the the robes of the priest, which hides it. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, it's like it's like an evil version of Elantra of what happens to the Elantrians. Oh. Yes, I I found it. They were bare chested and their eyes seemed to burn. They looked like men, but their flesh was ridged and disfigured, as if a carved piece of metal had somehow been inserted beneath the skin. Mm hmm. Uh, and those those weird symbols, those metal-looking symbols, those are made of bone. So it it morphs their skeleton mm -hmm. to look like this. Ugh, it was terrifying because throughout the whole thing, like, yeah, we know the Elantrians look different, but they're nothing to be afraid of because they have no powers. They have no way to defend themselves. They are the enemy, but they're helpless. I say the enemy. That's how you know. Rathen and is trying to turn these people into but the monks that show up are like a whole nother class yeah yeah and you know we've been joking several times about the murder cult uh but it has a basis in the world because the monks do need to sacrifice people in order to perform certain magics that the Elantrians could use by drawing symbols mm -hmm. so like uh, there's a sacrifice scene, which is horrible. And then he ends up teleporting Krathen and Serini, well, all the way to Teod, mm -hmm. like hundreds of miles away, leaving a stab drone behind. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. But I've, I've jumped onto the, I've jumped onto the copper mind to look up Dakor, which is the kind of magic that these monks use. Mm -hmm. So this is where I'm getting. Listen, I trust I trust the copper mind with my life uh, with these <laughs> details. So the Dakor monks are a newer development than Elantrians, uh, and in fact, what? Okay, I'm, 
we learn in new things together. Yeah. Uh, before the Elantrians fell on their own, there were plans to have these monks stand against and kill the Elantrians. Oh. The exact mechanics of how they work are unclear and were intended to be explored more fully in the Elantris sequel. Um, and since use of the door, which is the magic of both dominion and devotion wound together is what the door is. These, these two... Uh, splintered beings are now entangled in the magic system. Mm-hmm. Um, the Since it is form-based, since it is writing-based, then the specific marks on the bones visible through the skin determine what specific aspects of the powers the monks can Ooh, use. Ooh, that's cool. This kind, of, this kind of reminds me of it's supernatural, how the boys have those angel Enochian. anti-symbols. Yeah, Enochian symbols on their chest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but the bones glow when being used in teleportation or, like, advanced strength. So, like, the symbols that they're accessing for their specific powers will glow. This is such a visual media. It should be visual. <laughs> hey, Listeners, you can't see this. Listeners. Megan's, like, pointing. I'm Muppet. I'm Muppet flailing. Yeah, it should be visual. But there's so much of it. I don't think one movie, I, you know, I, listen, listen, I want theatrically released features, mm-hmm. but you can just spend so much more time in a TV show. Two movies? <laughs> six seasons and a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A movie and then six seasons. <laughs> well, because the thing is, um, I was going to say, this is going to maybe sound weird, but Brandon Sanderson books for me are very difficult to read. Because they are so heavily visualized visualizations. And I read for vibes. I read for, which is why the end of Way of Kings is my absolute favorite. Because the vibes go so hard. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I had a meltdown about Kaladin not looking the way that I had pictured him. (laughs) But yeah, the the ending just, like, you... you You know that that there's there's a clip in The Simpsons where they're like, "Stop! You're killing him!" and they're just like insulting this kid. They're not actually like doing anything. Yeah, it, yeah. it feels like He's that because dead. everything goes wrong, and then it goes wrong harder, and then more, and then again, and like, how oh. are we gonna get out of this? And it's it's so well done. Like that's that's it. That's the podcast. It was an extremely <laughs> tightly plotted tightly well-written fun adventure political sci-fi mystery murder thriller <laughs> slash romance <laughs> slash romance okay i'm back on Rathen again <laughs> um is he giving you daga verera vibes no he's not giving me dagan gara vibes <laughs> dagan gara is an <laughs> and <laughs> A a prideful, arrogant idiot who's only been evil for like three months and thinks he's the darkest edgelord who's ever existed. He just discovered Evanescence. <laughs> Wake me up. <laughs> Save it. Now listen, he accomplished a lot of evil in his three months of being evil, and he 
killed people that he personally knew, which is a huge no-no. Mm-hmm. And he's u- definitely currently using the dark side of the force. I'm not <laughs> saying he's not bad. But I would compare Hrathen perhaps to another character in Jedi Survivor. Okay. But there's spoilers, so I'm not going to tell <laughs> okay. the podcast. <laughs> okay. okay, the moment when... So, so Sarini has uh, been murdered, teleported with Rathen to Teod. She's in front of her dad. <laughs> Listeners, I apologize for pronouncing words differently literally every time I say them out loud. <laughs> I someday will really buckle down and follow the rules, but it wasn't. Anyway, we're in Teod. And Diloph is like physically cutting Sarini's throat. And Harathan's like, it's my time. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the moment where Diloph tries to stab Harathan and the knife just goes chink off of his armor. Mm -hmm. And Diloph is like, this armor is for show. And Harathan says, nothing I do is for show. (laughs) So I'm going to try that again without my voice cracking. (laughs) Nothing I do is for show. You guys, okay. I love Hrathen so much. I love this character who's like, everyone around me really, really super believes, like emotionally believes in this religion. I just think it makes logical sense. And maybe God just made me logical instead of emotional. I love that. It's great. And then when he like breaks free of the ranks and the systems to do what's right and he's fighting against these monks i okay we've we've joked and we've compared this guy to frollo a few times mm-hmm. that is that is not correct <laughs> uh Rathen is his own character who i love very much i oh, when he takes all the armor off that's okay sorry that's nah, not nah, why nah, i'm nah, like nah. fanning my face <laughs> but when he takes all this armor off he calls it the burden of a calling he no longer deserves and that was like that really hit that listen you guys know i cried through his death the first time through and it's just so good and it's emily it's what you were saying about like oh we've we've come to invest in these elantrians and they've just now realized the way they live is not the way that they have to live and that's why it's so tragic mm-hmm. when they die mm-hmm. is harath and it is finally like we're breaking free and he, he's Listen, he's not in love with Serene, right? It's not right. that he's watched her from afar and blah blah blah, but it's, it's like yeah, it's it's a it's a moment. Ah. It's a moment where he's like, I could have had a future. I could have had a different life. And I'm not going to. I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. It's brave. So, he's incredibly yeah. brave. At the tail end of it, he embraces that magic system. And I'm trying to remember, does he does he change the bones in his arm or does he just carve it into his into his rippling bicep? <laughs> Looking. Uh, this is chapter 62. It's hard because once we hit a certain point, it's not like character one, character two, character three. It's like we've got six point of view mm-hmm. people in each chapter. Uh, the weapon scraped along Harathan's arm, pushing back the sleeve there and revealing the skin beneath. It's 
arm was not that of a normal man. It showed twisting patterns beneath the skin, the outcroppings of bone that were the signs of a decor monk. Only the bones in his arm had the strange twisting patterns. Why the partial transformation? Because he reaches out with his arm and and they're able to see that it's only his arm that had been transformed. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know when. Was he hiding this arm the whole time, do you think? I think so, yeah. Because okay. he uses it to kill D-Lock. Yeah. I like the idea that it's... Okay, well, Brandon, <laughs> I'll ask someday. Hey, did he have that arm the whole time? <laughs> Yeah, and he uses Diloph's own precious magic system against it, mm-hmm. chokes him, that and then... That was just so satisfying. The idea of, like, you've used this to hurt other people, now I'm going to use it to end you so you can't hurt people anymore. Just like, I'm going back to my bookshelf to pull out <laughs> my leather-bound copy of Elantris. <laughs> Speaking of leather-bounds, collectors, uh, the fundraising campaign for... Leatherbound Words of Radiance will be in May. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to read out loud. I never got the whole Leatherbound edition thing. And then I started reading this and I'm like, yes, that is the way they deserve to be is in leather. So I think, I don't think I, I cried the exact moment when Karathan died. I really think I cried uh, the chapter later when Serini was like, he was not our enemy. He was our savior. And that's yeah. that's what got me. Because uh, we don't see Harathan dying from his own point of view. Um, he looked towards Rayodin and Serini, stood quietly for a moment, then toppled forward lifelessly. And like Serini runs to him and he's already dead by the time she gets there. So there's mm-hmm. no like dramatic last words or... You know, Beauty and the Beast moment. It's just he did the job he had to do and died with very little fuss. Mm-hmm. And then Serini, they bury him and she carefully arranges his armor and sticks his cloak on his sword. And she gives a speech for him. And it's a lovely parallel to when she first interrupts him at in his sermon. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to speak to a crowd and she talks from the crowd, interrupts him and they have their first meeting. And then, I don't know, I just, I loved her giving this final speech, this like salute to an enemy who we were enemies for a long time, but he he gave this final warning. We all would have killed, you know, we all would have died and then he showed up to protect us. So, uh, when you speak of this man, let it be known that he died in our defense. Let it be said that after all else, Hrathen, Gjorn of Shudareth, was not our enemy. Mm-hmm. He was our savior. Yeah. And then me as a baby just dissolved into tears. <laughs> Ooh, in the leather bound, there is a gallery of aeons. Oh, cool. And there's a bunch. There's like pages and pages. Um, so I know we've kind of covered pretty much most of the big, big parts in the book. But one thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap this up is the ruling system that the leadership system is based on how much you are worth monetarily. Not much how you are worth as a human being. Monarch sounds, stands for money. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if this was a commentary by Brandon on 
any of our political stuff going on in, you know, the U.S. of A. Mm -hmm. But the idea that if you're rich enough, you can tell other people what to do. Yeah. Is kind of how we live right now. And it's completely, it's very unfair, you know. Not only that, but uh, people who are very rich are seemingly bestowed with intelligence they don't have. (laughs) People assume that if you are rich, it means you are also smart and a good person Mm -hmm. and... <laughs> that is not correct. <laughs> and you're deserving of the money because you're such a yeah. good person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listen, I say this as someone with not a lot of money. I'm a little bitter about that. But yeah, doesn't it? It, it feels like the feeling is oh, a poor person has become that way because they are morally inferior. And if we just give a poor person more money, um, they will waste it. They will not do good things with it because mm-hmm. they are morally inferior. Yeah. And then it's like, please, Mr. Government, can I have a tax break for my giant business? And this rich person who's in trouble with their money, but this person has been rich before, which obviously means they are a good and wise person and will only do good things with the money. So we should give them more of it. Mm-hmm. 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 What? Have you read <laughs> the special postscript that is just in the Elantris 10th anniversary edition? Obviously, I haven't. <laughs> Emily, okay. I would like to read a postscript. Okay. <clears throat> Hoyd the beggar <laughs> sat on the side of a mountain carefully unwrapping the bandages from his face. A small crystalline pool filled a cleft in the rock beside him. Perhaps waist deep at its lowest point, it barely counted as a pool. Hoyt had taken baths in tubs larger than this. Beneath him, the city of Elantris glowed with a splendid light. Soft, reassuring, the light seemed to ascend high into the sky to the unknown god's domain itself. Hoyd finally got the bandages off his face, then whipped his gloves off his hands with a dramatic gesture and thrust out both arms before himself, fingers splayed. His arms and hands looked exactly as they had when he'd first put on the bandages a day earlier. "'Damn,' he said. "'You didn't honestly expect to find yourself transformed.' I kind of did, Hoyt admitted, looking over his hands, hoping to spot something glowing beneath the skin. He failed to locate even the faintest glimmer of illumination. You would have felt the effects earlier, Hoed. Hoyd, he said. That's a rather important distinction here. That's what I said. Hoed. Never mind, Hoyd said, standing up and absently brushing off his trousers, which sent up a cloud of dust. Beggar costume, right. He turned to regard his companion, a hovering, dark sphere about the size of a melon. It somehow sucked in the light and didn't have distinct edges. Hoyd could just make out. It just kind of blended out into the air, warping everything around it like a stone dropped onto a sheet of silk stretched tight. It was ringed with a pattern of misty symbols. They ran like a hoop from its top around the side to the bottom then back up to the top. Well, the sphere said, now what? I once ate a live frog, you know, Hoyd (laughs) replied, tucking the bandages away into a hidden pocket. Well, it was mostly like a frog, had an extra leg or two, was violet in color, but basically did the same thing, slimy, amphibious, etc. I'm certain it tasted awful. 
perfectly nauseating in every regard. It wiggled as it went down. He shivered. When I reflect upon my illustrious life, that moment inevitably surfaces as the nadir of my experiences so far. I thought I had found mine, the sphere said, and then I met you. Good execution, Hoyd noted, stepping up to the rocky edge of the pool. Unexpected and snappy. I thought your kind wasn't allowed a sense of humor. Nonsense, the sphere said. You think there is a poignant and undeniable humor in the fact we are so reliant upon humankind? The entire universe laughs, Hoed. We'd have to be deaf not to hear it. Hoyd smiled. So, the sphere said. Frog? I think of that moment, Hoyd replied, holding up one finger. And I realize something important. That your most awful experiences are never the ones you are anticipating? No, but I'm sure I can use that idea someday, so thank you. Hoyt <laughs> took a deep breath, looking out over the shining city, brilliant even in the face of the dawning daylight. No, I realize that as terrible, revolting, and as miserable as that day was for me. At least I wasn't the frog. <laughs> he fell silent. A moment later, the sphere chuckled. Yes, they did have a wider range of emotion than Hoyd had assumed. He needed to be careful not to let interactions with one member of a race, even a synthetic race, color his view of them all. He turned back to the sphere. There is beauty in every disaster, friend, if you are so clever enough to find it. Is that so? You have failed utterly, Hoed. You are not one of them. You haven't the powers you promised us you would gain. Oh, You've no. accomplished nothing. What beauty is there in this situation? Hoyt stepped out over the pool with one foot. You do not know me well, friend, so I will forgive such a silly question. The beauty? It lies in the fact that there are secrets that remain unknown. He smiled broadly. And I love a good puzzle. He leaned forward and dropped into the small pool with a splash, then vanished. <gasps> oh, that's the pool! That's the pool! So where did they go? Where did they go? <laughs> Emily. Emily. Megan. Emily. Megan. Emily. Megan. This pool is not a dissolving an pool. pool. Where did they go? I don't know, because I, I wanted to also bring that up, the idea of, like, Rayodin being so relieved that there is an out. And, like, to me, I was just like, oh, that's so merciful to, like, be able to end all this suffering. But, like, if it transports them somewhere else, hopefully it's to a place where, like, people can fix them. Like, does it break their connection to Elantris? Are they no longer Elantrian? Or does it take them? I don't know. Where does it, do we know? Is there a word of Brandon about that? I know more about this pool than you do. <laughs> you do. But there will be discussions of something similar to this pool, I believe, in Oathbringer. Okay. So we're going to... We'll wait till we get there. We're going to Rafo. All right. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. So uh, clearly... Tress takes place post Elantris because Hoyd does not get his powers. Uh, powers until after. Gotta catch them all. Pokemon. Hoedmon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we before we wrap all this up? What do you think that uh, hovering dark sphere was? Uh, they talk about a dark sphere in Way of Kings, but I don't think that there... that is like the same thing. Uh, do you know what? Visually, it has some similarities. Instead of giving off light, it like sucks in light, draws mm-hmm. in darkness. I'm wondering if it is oh. okay. So when the seans talk to each other, when they when they're relaying messages, they take on like the the like features, the yeah, yeah, like whoever's... like a Star Wars hologram, yeah. Um, but he called the one Hoyt called the one he was just talking to synthetic. Yes. So I don't know if he is if it's just like a microphone slash telephone, like we're speaking through this and the. The creature is not actually the one who's talking to Hoyt. It's just like relaying the message back and forth. But he calls it synthetic. And so someone's approximated a seon. Someone has imitated a seon. It's someone's version of a span read. I want to know. I do want to know. All right. Well, um, we're going to wrap up Elantris then. Um, I'm going to need to take a quick break, take Copper out before we can start Tress. Do we want? I'm just going to start a new recording just so I can keep everything straight uh-huh. when I edit this. So I'm going to stop my recording. But listeners, keep keep listening along because we're going to trans, uh, transform, transport transition into tress in just a few minutes all right see you in a see you in a see you in a second bye uh so more about rayodin being the preciousest best perfect goodest uh brandon has said in a word of brandon that rayodin is probably the only character he's ever written that has deserved to be a king from day one. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that all all of our other, because, you know, like, royalty and leadership are, are recurring uh, recurring through Brandon's books. And who that. deserves to have the leadership, you know, like, who's mm-hmm. who should be in charge, who shouldn't be in charge. But yeah, so Rayodin was not born a prince, but he is a good man and deserves to be a king. I like that. Hey. Yeah, and maybe if Elantris too ever comes up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. how was your break? It was great. Got to take my dog outside and do his business. Nice. Listeners, how was your break? Are you enjoying this super special quadruple length episode? I went and got uh, some little snacky snacks. I got Snack some snacks. blueberries and some chocolate chips. <laughs> blueberries are the fruit I trust the least. There are some stores... I would never buy blueberries from. And then some stores, if I'm there and I see blueberries, even if I don't want them, and they're not on my list, I get them from that store anyway because they're always good. What what magic blueberry store is this? Um, Costco and Walmart. Okay. Okay. Because here's the thing. With many other fruits, I can look at them and deduce the texture I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Or even if I touch them in my hand a little bit, you know, with grapes. Blueberries are the Deadpool's plaything. Grenades. <laughs> yeah, I can. And mouthfeel is very important to me as an eater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, 
Tress? So I want everyone Tress. to know uh-huh. that I won this copy of Tress. Um, and it's it's one of the pretty ones. It's one of the ones from the secret boxes that I did not purchase. Um, mm-hmm. But I was able to get it signed by Brandon at Dragonsteel. I won the drawing for the Lightning Lane. Lightning uh-huh. Lane. <laughs> Lightning Lane. <laughs> lightning signing they were very fast <laughs> they were extremely fast so those of us who did it they they brought us into a room and had us like line the walls and made us practice several times opening the book to the right page holding it at an appropriate signing height and telling us don't talk to brandon don't do anything but let him sign your book and brandon was so nice there were some people who did talk to him and he spent time with them talking to them and i'm just like He's such a good person. But I got Brandon to sign it and I got um, Howard Lyon to sign it. He um, did the illustrations. So I got yes. I got him to sign yes, both of did. them. Yeah. Oh, okay. So at Dragonsteel, he had a huge, a huge banner printed of the interior illustration of, of Tress holding her cup, which I believe is the painting. It's just called Glorf. <laughs> <laughs> But I went up and stared at that for like five minutes at just the brush strokes. Uh, so I'm a Patreon supporter of Howard Lyon. Mm-hmm. And he puts out full length videos of him painting wow. and just commentaries on them. So I will sit and sometimes instead of TV, I'll just watch him paint. I am building up the courage to do oil paintings. I'm not there yet. I do some acrylic I've gotten some gouache and I got books about them, but I'm I'm building up the courage. So I'm hoping by my 40th birthday, <laughs> I'll be confident <laughs> enough for oil paintings. But Emily, speaking of signings, so typically if Brandon is signing pages for a book to go to print, he can just sign a stack of loose pages. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a number of uh, Defiant books, the newest book came out, that he needed to sign. And... He signed 5,000 books in three hours at the warehouse. They had this great system set up. You saw this reel Mm -hmm. on Instagram. Yeah, where they just have people were setting up stacks of books in front of him and somebody would open them and Brandon would sign and they'd pull out the next book below and Brandon would sign. And it's, you know, stacks of like eight books at a time. And it was just so cool to see like how many people were staffed up to sign, divide, and then package these books. And I'm like, oh, this is satisfying to watch. You want to hear something really cool? I do. So the woman standing by Brandon, she had like uh-huh. a sunset shirt on. She's the one that like had the stack of books and was like holding it up so that he could sign uh-huh. everything. That's my friend with the Roswell notebook. That's She works at Dragon Sale. <laughs> yes. That's friend of the Yes. You you wrote in the Roswell notebook with that's so cool. Would she come could she come on the Roswell finale of our podcast? I will see if I can because I don't have her contact information, but I will see if Priscilla can contact her um that Priscilla so that works funny. at Track and Steel. It'd be so funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a small world after all. <laughs> So yeah, Emily. Oh no, I just lost it. it was I saw her a couple times at Dragon Steel. We waved to each other. So okay, okay. 
I got, uh, oh, no, I was going to talk about how um, I've always had really great luck in drawings with Brandon. Like, anytime I've gone to a book release, I've, I've won the drawing. Mm-hmm. And I am so pleased that this is a family trait, because not only did you win your copy of Tress in a drawing, you won your autograph of Tress in a drawing. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty and good. My, well, you helped me with my Elantris one, because I said, please send good vibes. I need to win this signing. And I didn't win the signing, but then someone was giving it away, and I just said, "Me, please." We've just we've just got really good. We have good Love. vibes. We, we have, have good vibes. We are vibe friendly. <laughs> Come to our podcast for good vibes and jokes that are just okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I okay. So off topic. I was watching a. McElroy brothers reel that reminded me of us okay. where um they're talking about griffin's making jokes about a game that was made by dracula and he has to play this game so often he's got to find bugs in it and justin says yeah because typically the only person who loves looking for bugs in a dracula game is renfield <laughs> and travis says that's good and griffin goes oh that's really funny because he likes to eat bugs there's a moment of silence and Justin said, you know, in my head, that was amazing. <laughs> He's like, I expected you both to go wild over that. <laughs> and then Griffin says, well, what shocked me, Justin, is you opened your mouth and a Travis joke came out. <laughs> oh, I love the McElroys. I wish I had better McElroy luck. I better. I bet if I did more McElroy fan art, I'd have more McElroy luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners, graphic novel for The Suffering Game comes out imminently. The Adventures on The Suffering Game comes out July 16th, and it is available for pre-order. And Taco looks rough on the cover, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, okay, so normally on the cover, the D20 is like physically rolling. Uh-huh. And I love on this cover that Taco's got his hand on the D20, <laughs> rolled at 20. And he's like, listen up! <laughs> I don't have a full circle for this. So let's just get back to dress. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, so like I said, this is a... I'm not saying this to Breck. I'm saying this as part of the thing. I don't know if tre- this version of Tress is like super, super special or if. Okay, how do I say this? Because when you read it, um, the the part where you're in the Emerald Sea, everything's in green. Like the, the mm-hmm. beginning of each chapter, there's green ink. And then when you go to the crimson portion, everything's mm-hmm. in red. And then when you end up... Everything's in, the, in red. Everything's <laughs> in red. Um, and then when you, you get to the midnight, the midnight sea, it goes to like a, a dark blue. And I... Uh, like, again, reading for me is super, super visual. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I say I read for vibes. But to have that additional... I feel like it sets the vibes. Where it's just like, yeah. oh, we're at the Crimson Sea. And like the chapter title, like we've got the red illustration on there. And it was just... Oh, it was a nice touch. Like, listen, yeah. I've been reading almost my entire life. Like, yeah, I started reading from an incredibly early age. And to have something that surprises me as a reader <laughs> is pretty cool. <laughs> um, have, have you seen Marie's absolutely incredible painting for the moment when Tress uh, 
throws the the green spores into the crimson sea during no, the rainstorm? No. Okay. Here's the... Sorry, I'm getting to Gmail. Okay. There's going to be a little typing noise. I've been trying to be really good not to type during podcasts. I appreciate you. It's hard. I appreciate you. It's not hard to appreciate you. I'm saying it's hard to edit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, though? I think there are days where it is hard to appreciate me. <laughs> I'm only saying this because we recorded a Dragon Steel. Thanksgiving happened. Meg's been under deadline. It is Saturday. Our episode goes out tomorrow night. I have to edit all of this by tomorrow night. I'm just saying thank you for making it easier for me to edit. And boy, howdy, was I under deadline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, check on Gchat. Okay. Ooh. <gasps> Someone asked like our favorite part interest at the live read or something or like something that impressed us the most. Visually. Yeah. I should have said this scene. This was, yeah. I think, the most impressive scene to me where she saves everyone by using yes. this knowledge that only Tress could have done. I think yes. that is what made it so powerful is that Tress... Hold on. Oh, sorry. Sometimes my neighbor connects to my my Bluetooth speaker and starts playing Mario. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> anyway, that was that's what that was. This this scene, I think, was my favorite. My absolute favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And so we we mentioned in Elantris that a lot of Brandon's protagonists are chosen by the magic system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rayodin, chosen by the Shayad, and also a prince. And mm-hmm. Serene's a princess. And then you've got Vin, who inherits the magic system inherently. And then Way of Kings, everyone who is magic gets personally chosen by a spread based on you, you know, this this stuff. Warbreaker, princesses. Mm-hmm. And it's not typical for someone to just figure out. Thank you, Kat. It's not typical for someone to just figure out the magic system, the world, without being an inherently special person mm-hmm. first. And I love Tress for being an ordinary person. Although she is, she just happens to be super gorgeous. But you know what? I admit that in real life that happens to people sometimes. You can't discount yeah. that. And her, she is, she is clever and she is quiet and observant. And she uses her surroundings better than a lot of other people. And I I feel she is a very, very... Which, what are you doing? <laughs> she, okay, typically does not do this. My cat is just knocking things off my desk one by one. <laughs> oh, it's noon. It is time for me to feed my cat. That is okay. why she's doing this. Here's what I'm going to do. I While you're feeding cats, I'm going to give the, the quick overview of the plot just because this is a newer book. Or do you want Love me to it. wait for you? Nope, go for it. Okay. I listen. Apparently, sometimes I don't even listen <laughs> while you're talking to me. It's true. <laughs> I thought I was being thoughtful and thinking of you, and I was like, "Do you want these recorded separately?" And you're like, "I just said that <laughs> I, I had just stated that let's do. We gotta cut off Elantris, save that separate file, and then do Tress. And Meg's like. Do you want these separate or not? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> so obviously what you said 
skipped like a stone across my subconscious surface and I'm like, this is probably important to her. I should ask. (laughs) Talk about trust. I'll go feed this baby girl. All right. So we did mention in the earlier reading, it's that uh, Tress at the Emerald Sea is the story of what if Buttercup had gone off to rescue Wesley in The Princess Bride once she realized he'd been captured by Dread Pirate Roberts. And so Tress is the story of a girl who falls in love with the Duke's son, Charlie. But it's not like stated, stated. It's kind of like, for me, it felt a little bit like Anne of Green Gables and Gilbert's love, where like they both like each other, but no one is saying anything. Anyways, it's very apparent that they are falling in love. The Duke finds out and he sends his son off to go meet other girls so that he can marry wealthy mary rich and charlie has promised that he will send tress back these cups, cups um and promises that he will be the most boring and dull person on the face of the planet and so that he will not have to marry them and he'll get to come back and marry tress or be with tress what happens is that uh she gets four or five cups and then they stop and then word comes back that the duke's son has is returning with his bride-to-be or his wife i think wife i think he was married turns out charlie has been kind of sent off as a as a sacrifice (laughs) sort of a thing and the person that comes back is another relation of the duke who has married well who is now the duke's heir and tress decides to go rescue charlie from the sorceress where he has been sent yes megan wait um is is the Duke's son with the descriptor with, like, a jawline so straight it made other men question if they were? Let me. <laughs> Somebody in the book gets described like that, and I'm pretty sure it's the fake Charlie. Okay, let's see. I want to. Yep, yep. The young man was yep, around the yep. same <laughs> age as Charlie, but he was six and a half feet tall and had a jaw so straight it made other men question if they were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. it's Hoyt. If you couldn't tell, Hoyt is the narrator of this book, and he is wonderful through the whole thing. I yeah. will say so again. That's where that's where the book kind of starts, and and the rest of the book is Tress's adventures, going after Charlie that she loves. Um, there was I'm going to get this out of the way first. There was one thing that I was disappointed in about this book. I have one disappointment too, and I would love to know if it was the same thing, but you go first. So they talk about it's very important that the people who live here on the aisle do not leave. Like it's incredibly important. Like they have someone there at the port inspecting all of the ships, making sure people stay on this rock. And I thought that was going to be a plot point, but it's never explained. I And I had just was thinking like, oh, this is a fairy tale that means there's going to be some sort of like magic inherit, like magic bloodline or something. Like if someone inherit leaves in the system, yeah, if someone <laughs> leaves, like something terrible will happen. Brigadoon. Because the, the Duke can come and go as they please. All the rich men can come and go as they please, but they can't, but no one else can leave. And they make such a big deal about it that I was disappointed when that didn't actually turn out to be anything. Okay. But that was my disappointment. Other, like I, caveat love this book just saying i was i was reading it trying to like garner clues so i could make predictions as i was reading and i like twigged onto that super hard and didn't let it go and it wasn't anything 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, for that, I figured it's just because the Duke was such an asshole. I mean, I'd buy that, yeah. Uh, mine was, I wanted to see more than three Cs, and I wanted trust, I wanted to know what all of the spores did. Oh. I, I wanted to see more of the world and learn more of the magic. And so mm-hmm. I was disappointed that, like, the final confrontation, I'm like, oh, we just have this, we just have blue and this and that. And I was like, I want to see Tress with all 12 spores and what she would come up with, but maybe mm-hmm. we'll get Tress too. I was kind of, again, I'm kind of expecting a sequel to this of of just not, not for Tress and Charlie. Like I, that yeah. was a... That was a bonus storyline for me. Um, it was a great motivator to get her on the journey. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I would expect that the second book is about Tress and her spore yeah. experiments. I'm getting very Maurice from Beauty and the Beast yes! vibes from her. Okay, so my toxic trait is <laughs> I keep getting surprised every time there's a new world and a new magic system. Which is so dumb because, like, <laughs> obviously there's there's so many different kinds of magic. But every time, like, a whole new world is introduced and, like, a whole new kind of magic, I'm like, there are only the worlds we know of and no more. So I, I keep getting shocked and surprised. And, I have uh, to learn new stuff. Yeah. Uh, Emily, you, you can't read Sunlit Man. Sorry. Right. You would very much love Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Oh, I was going to ask you if there were more that I could read. You can read Yumi. Yeah. Okay. Listeners, look forward to someday when we cover Yumi and the Nightmare Painter in a, in a super incredible special, but not at Dragonsteel, because what are we doing next year for Dragonsteel? We're going to have Hopefully. our own booth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what what are we going to record next year oh, at Dragonsteel? If we can pull it off, the plan mm-hmm. is to do a Stormlight Book 5 Theory yeah guessing game sort of Um, episode i may even i may even line it up so we're we're doing the last rhythm of war reading like the epilogue and stuff okay and and that'll be like our look back over the stormlight so far but that'd be wasn't we'd have to get through oathbringer and rhythm of war (laughs) so let's get through this tress thing first but yeah tress uh i think what was great is is what we both wanted from the book is like, I want to know more. I want there to be mm-hmm. more. I want to have more. And not like, well, I really hated this character for being so sexist and I wish they weren't in the book at all. Like, so yeah. instead of wanting less from the story, I think it's a great time that both of us wanted more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I absolutely adored something you said in the live read. And you talked specifically about the idea that, because I talked about like this feels like a good old fashioned fairy tale. It's very whimsical, but there the stakes are still high. And you said something to the effect of what you loved is that someone who is kind and brave and sweet and nice, those aren't detriments. Those are only positive things. It does not make mm-hmm. them a weak character. Because I feel like, I was talking about this with Jane the other day, it's, it's, I say cringy sometimes to watch some of the new Disney movies because they full out make fun of their princesses. They make fun of like they're making fun of the legacy that built Disney. I'm talking about Moana. I'm talking about uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2. Yeah. And the idea of just like, well, I don't want to say like, well, the times when the movie was made, but kind of like the Snow White that was made almost 100 years ago. It was perfect for that 
time period. And it fit well with what people saw as being the ultimate role model. And just because our role models have changed today, I don't think that makes Snow White a bad role model. I Oh, you're making faces. What? Oh, my face do? is. I'm so glad you were talking about the Disney princesses because I was like, I can't bring up, I can't bring up the Disney princesses, but you've opened a gate. And I, I would also you. like to talk about the modern criticisms of Disney princesses by the Disney brand, which is strange to me. But anyway, please finish your thought. My um, face just, I'm getting, I'm anticipating. <laughs> a lot of feelings. Um, and so I, I adored Tress because... She was, there was that innocence, but there was also that determination. And really quick, I'm going to pull something else in before I'm going to let, I'll let you talk really fast, uh, which we mentioned again in the, in the live read about uh, Dan Wells saying that Brandon's, one of the criticisms of Brandon's earlier works is that if it's from his writing group, his writing group. Yeah. That if it's a, a new fantastical world, that the world should be in peril and, and that Brandon wasn't quite meeting those in the early, early stages of writing. Drafts of his books, yeah. And I feel like with Tress, the world is not in danger, but Tress's world is in danger. And to me, because I like the character Tress, I care deeply about how she solves it, the adventure she goes on. And I enjoyed I enjoyed her characterization. I enjoyed that, that she is that innocent person who believes that, one, good things can happen. I mean, look at the way that her dad solved the problem of getting Tress off the rock. It's, he calls in, doesn't even call in, but people know he's in trouble. And because he has been a good, kind person himself, they are very willing to jump in and help. And Mm -hmm. they don't have to do it alone. That was yeah. like one of the biggest things. Tress does go off on her own, but throughout mm-hmm. the entire book, she is surrounded by people that she, I guess that she calls to them and they respond. And so again, back to the, the, the Disney princess thing is that people tend to criticize that sort of thing because it's mm-hmm. not the cool, not even the cool thing. That sounded stupid, yeah. but um, just, I love the idea that Tress is exactly who she is. She doesn't have to change anything about her. She just uses her natural curiosity, her goodness, her kindness. And that Mm -hmm. is what wins her the book. Yeah. So I'm going to follow on that first. And I'd like to fold back around to the Disney princesses. But listeners, you know how this goes. We may go so far afield that you'll just have to wait and ask me in person (laughs) when you see me. Because I will talk about it for a long time. But so Tress... The world, the fabric of the world is not in peril. It's one boy who no one else cares about, mm-hmm. right? It's not, not even that family. like yeah. she she needs Charlie to come back so he can rule the island. No, his father has replaced him. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, the, the sorceress has stolen someone important. It's like, no, the sorceress does this often. Like, like often she's, the, the sorceress know. is a known problem like mm-hmm. across the world but her capturing charlie has nothing to do with like the source of her power or the secret to her grip on the midnight sea it's just she's just like ah oh, you bother me I'm, I'm doing this now but like trust just going after the boy she loves with with very small personal stakes ends up saving the kingdom from this he- sorceress in the mysterious tower, mm-hmm. uh, which 
And then we find out on a Cosmere level is also a very tiny nothing problem. It's like one Elantrian in her personal spaceship just (laughs) being the most horrible tourist you can imagine. (laughs) And uh, and then like Cosmere-wide ramifications, she makes Hoyt an Elantrian. So, yeah, and it's it's Tress's, you know, it's it's not her inherent goodness as an atmosphere that that infects other people with goodness. Right. But like the she sails with some real terrible people. (laughs) Yeah. The pirate crew, the captain of the pirate crew is like, I rule with fear and I rule with cruelty because power is power. And there are there are moments where. Okay, I think you and I have talked about before that it takes a long time to achieve something good and mm-hmm. something cruel can be accomplished in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And folding back in on our recurring way of kings that like, is it worth the effort to try and make someone good or is it better to stop someone being bad by killing them? And it's like, well, obviously, in a perfect world, the answer is invest the time to redeem Moash. But what we're all kind of secretly (laughs) praying for is his head gets exploded (laughs) magically. (laughs) Um, But Tress, who goes on this long, strenuous journey, because she's like, I have to accomplish this myself because Mm -hmm. no one else cares about Charlie. No one else will be going for him. I personally am the only one who can do this. But by making the choice to be kind to the people around her, she ends up building the tools for her own success along the way, which is mm-hmm. a very satisfying and wonderful read. And it's it's recurrent in our some of our favorite Cosmere protagonists, um, Rayodin, Kaladin, putting in the effort to help people who've accepted their horrible situation ends up being more powerful and having more positive ramifications in the long run. Mm -hmm. Um, Which makes Vin a very fascinating outlier to me, which I love. And like, I, I am so hyped for you to reread Mistborn and talk about the differences between Kelsier and Kaladin Mm -hmm. or even Kelsier and Rayodin because. Oh, Kelsier, what, what, that dude from Fortnite, what a problematic favorite he is. So let's talk about the modern Disney princesses. Emily, have you heard anything about Wish? No, I know it's out. No, I have, listen, no, I have not. That's that's right. Then we'll, we'll talk mainly about uh, Moana and Encanto and Wreck-It-Ralph. I love Encanto. Me too. I think over the last, I think since Moana, not I think, statement, since Moana, Encanto is the only Disney film I have liked. I was extremely disappointed by Raya and the Last Dragon, even though Raya herself is a character I absolutely loved. Just the the structure of the rest of the story was a disappointment to me. Uh, and that's mainly because Raya began as a as an idea for a television show, and then Feature was like, oh, instead of TV, we're going to make that a feature. And so they took a season-long story and crammed it into 90 minutes, and it just it didn't pay off for me. But what were you going to say about Raya? Oh, I wasn't going to say about Raya. I was going to say about Disney. Um, 
for those of you who may not know, uh, the Marvels did not do well box office wise. And I mm-hmm. think there are reasons besides the movie okay. why it didn't do well. Yeah. Regardless, Bob Iger just came out this week saying, <laughs> we're now going to focus on quality and not quantity. And we've just been greenlighting sequels and TV shows and no one has a good story. And that's why they're not doing well. And so we're not going to publish anything unless it has a good story. And I don't want to turn this into a Disney thing, but I needed to make sure you knew that that he's been on record. See, you know, he says that, but they also announced Frozen 3 and 4 at the same time. And I'm like, you could barely get Frozen 2 out on time. All right. It's that the artists are fabulous. And have always been incredible. You crack open an art of book and you see the most gorgeous stuff you've ever seen. But because of, I feel, allegedly, <laughs> um, the the history of announcing what films are coming out over the next 10 years and all uh, release dates, a refusal to shift or move those release dates in, in concordance with the need of the story, and deciding the title of your films... Uh, before the films themselves have been written has led to a series of we must make a piece of art towards this deadline and a lack of here is a piece of art I care greatly about. Like coming to a story with the heart already in place versus finding a heart in a checklist of things you must accomplish has has been a real detriment to the enjoyability, I feel, of movies. Now, something else that's really been hurting the company is uh, the the lack of theatrical releases and the need to move them right to streaming. Because so so, I understand that there's been like hurt in the. This gesture is supposed to mean stock market, okay, Emily. In the future, when I do this, I mean stock market. Stock market. <laughs> so, let's talk about the princess's scene in Wreck It Ralph. How those princesses are literally the pop culture idea, like in in the text. These are not the actual Disney princesses. These are the Disney dot com pop culture ideas of what these princesses are. Their visuals are not based off who they are in the movies. They're based off of the Disney princesses brand marketing version of them. That's why Cinderella is in her light blonde hair instead of her classic strawberry or like wheat colored hair from the thing. Oh, you guys. Like Tress's hair. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Tress does not have light yellow hair. She has light brown hair. Uh, 2010 full redesign glitter glam of the Disney princesses redesign is still haunting me to this day. Emily, do you remember in, in 2010, were you paying attention when they officially redesigned all of the Disney princesses? And I was working at Walt Disney World at the time and they had to recreate and recostume and recraft every single wig in order to fit these new redesigns. So Belle's hair, instead of being this simple single side ponytail, she's now got this Christine Daae cascade brown curls and Cinderella instead of her you know she has these bangs symmetrical a soft bun Cinderella now has like these 
Barbie side parted, side swept bangs and a super tall top bun. And they aren't on model from the films anymore. It is, this is the idea of the Disney princess. Those were the ones in Wreck-It Ralph. Listen, I want everyone to know we adore Wreck-It Ralph 1. Like we could do a four hour podcast on Wreck-It Ralph 1 alone. Yeah, Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph 2 was a a disappointment. Wreck-It Ralph 1 is a life-changing movie for me, honestly, Mm. because it came out at the end of my uh, animation schooling time period and was one of the projects that made me be like, I will stay in animation if I could make a project like Wreck-It Ralph. And Emily, did you know that Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, was titled before they started writing it? Didn't know that. They named it after a meme before they had written the movie itself. And memes are very, very specifically time-based, short-lived internet phenomena. And so the phrase, oh, it broke the internet, was not in common parlance by the time the film itself came out. And it is crafted around many memes that were no longer popular by the time the movie came out. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about the early Disney princesses. I personally feel, allegedly, (laughs) (laughs) that people critique what they remember grown-ups saying about the films when they were little Mm -hmm. and not actually watching the films themselves. Because I love Cinderella and the original Sleeping Beauty quite a lot and Beauty and the Beast quite a lot and I feel the critiques leveled against the heroines of those movies are inaccurate to the actual content of the film. Yes, Emily? I mean, I obviously remember watching the Disney Cinderella as a kid. You know, I remembered liking it, but I don't think I watched it from when I was six until I was probably 23. I watched it again for the first time. And was just like prepared for, oh, this is going to be a dumb princess movie. And I sat there and I was absolutely entranced and enthralled and enchanted by it. It is a lovely, lovely film about a wonderful person who's just doing the very best she can. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. Now, this is this is, again, based off of Cinderella from the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Please do not bring Cinderella 3, a twist in time, into this. (laughs) While that changes the canon story of the first Cinderella for the sake of comedy, Mm -hmm. that's not... There's no way that the people critiquing Cinderella watched Cinderella 3, a twist in time. Okay. (laughs) So, some common dismissals of Cinderella that I hear is that, oh, the prince couldn't recognize her face. He just went by her shoe size. Uh, another one is like, oh, she's just like this simple girl and she just falls in love. She just she just wanted a man. She just went to a ball for a man for one night. And Have you even watched Cinderella? <laughs> Have you? <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. All Cinderella wants is one day away from her humdrum life. And it's not that she goes specifically to meet a prince. In fact, she doesn't know which one the prince even is. She doesn't know she's met the prince. 
So there's a song and they fall in love over the course of a song. But you have to understand the song is a montage. The prince and Cinderella and you see this happen in in real time. They are talking with each other. They are getting to know each other. They are having a conversation. And when midnight strikes, she's like, I have to go. And he's like, why? And she goes, oh, the prince. I haven't I haven't met the prince. And he goes, wait, wait a second. <laughs> but I'm and then she runs. And now here comes everyone takes the Mickey out of this poor prince because they're like, he doesn't even remember her face. He just goes by her shoe size. Emily in the original Cinderella. Whose idea is it to find Cinderella by her shoe size? The Duke, the King. It's the, the King. Okay. There is a scene where the King, where the Duke has to go in and tell the King that Cinderella's run away. And all she's left behind is this shoe. And it is 100% the King's idea to search for Cinderella with the shoe. The and prince doesn't even go looking. That's the thing. <laughs> he, he can't. No, no, no. I'm he, saying, I'm yeah. saying that's why they use the shoe is they can't, they can't bring the prince to every single person and be like, do you recognize her? Yeah, so uh, it's midnight when Cinderella leaves. It is one thirty or 2 o'clock in the morning by the time the Duke goes to tell the king. And then the Duke makes it to Cinderella's house by 6.30 sunrise four hours later. <laughs> the prince hasn't even had the chance to start looking yet. Like the Duke not only lucks out, but it's not even trying on the shoe that helps him find Cinderella. Emily, what is the actual piece that proves Cinderella was the girl at the ball? She has the matching shoe to go she with She has it. the matching shoe. So it's not that he, the prince has a foot fetish or like, I can't believe no one in the kingdom else fits these size four shoes. It's that Cinderella literally has the other shoe, like proving it to her. Mm -hmm. And... While so many modern Disney movies are like, you can't marry a man you just met. You can't fall in... Like, listen, I say so many. Frozen specifically calls this out. And Once Upon a Time makes fun of it. But Once Upon a Time critiquing the Disney movies is something for another podcast I don't have time for today. But Cinderella and the prince do not get married that day. There's something called time skips. That none of us understood as children when we watched these movies. And we simply assume that when Ariel and Eric kiss and it dissolves to their wedding, that wedding must have happened the same day. Or we assume when the prince and Snow White just walk away at the end of the movie and see a castle in the clouds, that means they instantly got married. Like, I 100% believe in chemistry and quick love and falling in love swiftly. There is nothing in a single one of these movies that indicate they got married a day later. This has happened to exactly zero of the original <laughs> Disney princesses. And it also does not happen to Tress because her and Charlie knew each other for years. She sails off on this huge adventure to find him. And then there's a time skip <laughs> and they sail back before the curse is broken. So, <sighs> listen, I'm so sorry I've spent the last 30 minutes talking about this. Remember in like early 2000s, 2010s, when most many book characters main trait was that they were quirky and that they were clumsy and clumsy became like character shorthand for endearing. Mm -hmm. uh, Not like other girls. 
Yeah, we're we're in right now a cluster of adorably awkward Disney princesses, which I feel is a response to, hey, in the 90s, all of our Disney characters were incredibly sexy 16-year-olds. And and we're currently trying to make our our teen I say we. I don't work for the Disney company. <laughs> What's a flaw that real mortals have? Oh, it's to be adorkable. So some of the things I really appreciate about Tress is she's quiet. <laughs> now, listen, as a talkative person. What? You? I'm not quiet. <laughs> but I like that Tress is thoughtful and she's very Tiffany aching to me. Mm-hmm. I I love Tiffany Aching, and I deeply enjoy Tress thinking her way through situations. And one of the benefits to having a quirky narrator in Hoyd. So Hoyd is the quirky one in this, right? <laughs> Hoyd is the sarcastic one, the funny one. He's the one tripping a hundred jokes a page. It leaves space for Tress to be competent, and it makes her fun to read. We talked about that with Rayodin. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I know I said my one disappointment with the story is that uh, we didn't see enough of the spores. We didn't see enough of the seas. Can I tell you my my real disappointment with the story sure. is Tress talking about Disney princess movie critique within the story. <laughs> She's sitting. Okay, we don't see Tress sitting around reading books, right? I don't think Tress has time for this. So I did get a little aggravated near the beginning when Tress is like, oh, women in those stories are always damsels in distress. And then at the end of the book, having not considered damsels much throughout, she's like, I am a damsel in distress, but that can be okay sometimes. Sometimes during the Sanderlanch, people get in turmoil. Serene gets captured by a teleporting monk. And that doesn't make her a damsel in distress. Like, is is Kaladin considered a damsel in distress when he... What's something bad that happened? Oh, yeah, when Moash breaks all his ribs and leaves him (laughs) on the floor to die? No, but because it happens to a girl character, we originally state, oh... Because she's in distress, that makes her a damsel in distress, and that's a bad trope. And I I know that, like, Tress sort of addresses that. The even implied the tropes of of Disney movies by talking about damsels in distress. (laughs) All right, I gotta stop my Disney tangent now. We just, we gotta move on. But I, the, the last umbrella thing I'm going to say, I find more enjoyment from stories like Tress that take what they loved or what they wanted from stories that came before mm-hmm. and build a world around that. I find more enjoyment in that than I do of stories that directly point out what they disliked from their inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I find more authentic storytelling with, oh, what if Butterclub had rescued Wesley Butterclub? instead of Butter Butterclub? <laughs> So, so I, I find more enjoyment out of a story that wanted more mm-hmm. than I do from a story that critiqued what they found lacking, mm-hmm. which sounds like it's the same thing, but it's no, really not. Okay. It's not. And that makes, that makes total sense. I almost feel like it's the idea of like, like sometimes 
critiques will come out about people being like, well, I didn't like this at all, and blah, blah, blah. And then the author just being like, that's okay. If you didn't, that's fine. You're welcome to write what you want to read. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the best ways to respond to something is that, yeah. like, because I don't, I don't publish my fan fiction. I read a ton of fan fiction. And a lot of times there will be, like, I'm on discords with a bunch of different fanfic authors as well. And people will kind of talk about the different comments they get. And, you know, people will just be like, well, I was really expecting this and this and this. And the person's like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. You, like, if you write that, that I would read that, you know. But that's Mm -hmm. something that you're going to write because I didn't, that wasn't the story I was trying to tell. Yeah. Um, And so I do like the idea of, like, creating something from a place of, excitement of like oh my gosh what if this had happened and uh, yeah i mean listen that's half of our roswell podcast anyway (laughs) it's just like this should have happened instead (laughs) oh and and a story where characters basically wink at the audience being like oh we know you were expecting this to happen but we're doing this instead Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be very funny like Mm -hmm. there were moments in here where Hoyd was talking a little bit about the magic system and then he'll be like, but only people who are obsessed with that care. But like, that's... <laughs> I thought of you. <laughs> <laughs> like... But that's funny because that is Brandon specifically talking about the monster he created and not like, 50 years ago, they didn't know that women could do this and this and this. As if Every single movie that's come out ever wasn't chasing a particular odd. Anyway, listen. So many millions of people watch movies that, no, do you know what? I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm done with this tangent. We're talking about (laughs) Tress. I will say, okay, so for all that Tress is, we talked about her being kind, sweet, good, all of these wonderful Mm -hmm. qualities that we love. I will say the time that she surprised me the very most Like it wasn't, it wasn't her learning to be a spore person. Like it was, I feel like she had a natural curiosity and was just like, well, this is a bad situation. I'm going to make the best of it. Like her learning how to do all these things, her learning, you know, people were switching stuff out, her learning all the different, the different ways the captain was trying to like turn these people into, you know, bad pirates. The part that she surprised me the most is when the captain takes Tress to the dragon. Then Tress turns around and says, (laughs) Tress turns around and goes, hey, dragon, I brought you tribute. So I'm going to walk out of here. Like, to me, that was the part that had the highest stakes. More so than the, more so than the Elantri and then the sorcerers at the end. The scene with the dragon where the captain and Tress were like, butting heads and like trying to one up each other of who's gonna leave who's gonna stay and be the the dragon's servant that was the most palm sweating inducing moment for me of the whole book la 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 yeah and it's what's even funnier is at the end of that when it's revealed that like oh if the if the captain had gotten what she wanted she would have died anyway because mm-hmm. it was only a temporary fix. So, like, by utterly betraying the captain and turning her into a life of servitude to the dragon, Tress saves her life. <laughs> so even when she's trying to do something underhanded, the she just she ends up accomplishing good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Oh, I want to talk a little bit about visualizing. Emily, how did you picture Huck as a rat? Just like a rat. Okay, but what color is he? Brown. Okay. I pictured Huck as a black rat the whole time. Okay. And, okay, so open open up your dust cover to those picture of the two cups at the beginning. Uh-huh. Now, look at look at those at the end of the book instead. Look at okay. the back the back cover. Oh, it has a little rat in it. Yeah. I, okay, I could have sworn that Huck is a black rat, and I didn't even imagine his nose brown. I imagined his, like, snout a little lighter skinned, mm-hmm. and... And I saw all these really great cosplays at Dragonsteel and everyone had brown rats. And I'm like, did I misread it? But in that illustration, he's a black rat. So I don't think I did. Um, I don't there, he's a very dark my... gray. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, not only that, but when Huck was revealed to be working for the sorceress, I'm like, obviously, like, I thought that he was... Uh, before I like understood the the sorceress and how her magic worked, I was like, "Oh, he's a black rat. He's been touched by magic from the midnight sea, obviously." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but apparently, he just looks like Ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my Tress. When I cosplay Tress, I'm gonna get one of those shoulder magnetic um Ratatouille. I saw somebody. Rats. I saw somebody with that. Yeah, yeah, that was cute at Dragon Steel. Um, so about about Huck. I had a very intense suspicion of, uh, I don't even know if that's the right word. I was pretty sure Huck was Charlie the whole time. So not because I'm amazing at figuring you stuff are. out. I'm not, <laughs> it just felt like it's a fairy tale. Okay, and I'm not going to tell you what book it is, but there's a there's a remake of The Twelve Dancing Princesses, which I love, 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 love. Maybe I should tell you anyway. Tell me any Listen, it's only fair because I spoke for 20 minutes about Disney movies, and I think you should talk for 20 minutes about something. Oh, okay. It's called Wildwood Dancing, and it is one of the most beautiful retellings of this fairy tale, but there is a talking animal in it that ends up being someone important that we knew at the beginning of the book. Um, And so for me, I'm just like, oh, it's a fairy tale. Of course it's going to end up like that. I just couldn't figure out the whole time why he didn't just tell her. I don't know if I was like, maybe she has to prove something. Maybe all these things. And we find out it's part of the curse that he's under, which I loved the curses being so specific. Yeah. But being able to find loopholes through them. I just, I really, I liked that. Yes. Go vegan. Because I feel allegedly (laughs) because the sorceress is a Lontrian and a Lontrian magic from the book so specifically relies on particular visuals Mm -hmm. being drawn in a specific way that maybe a Lontrian magic has evolved to being written so if you can change what's written that Mm -hmm. changes the curse like one letter's difference changes the curse and i really liked that to me yeah that hit just perfectly just Mm -hmm. i loved it i loved that extra little it's like um it's like when you i say you in a book if you end up if your character meets a fae or a fairy like they can say like oh, can I have your name? And like, literally, they mean, can I take your name? And so like, you know, like, if if a fae says that to you, you say, oh, no, you can't have my name, but I will give you 
this is what you can call me. Sort of like you have mm-hmm. to like everything has yeah. Everything has purpose and meaning in the in the written language and the spoken language and I'm not fast enough. Let me, if, I, if I was in that world, I'd be toast because I'd be like, yeah, sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> See, but, and uh, I think my immense skill with portmanteau and puns <laughs> would make me an excellent victim in this world. <laughs> but um I I I loved again, I'm just gonna keep going back to it was a fairy tale. And it was yeah. so refreshing and lovely because it was earnest. It wasn't, like we said, it wasn't making fun of anything. It wasn't being like, well, I would have done this better. It was just what it was. And I think one of the reasons um, I liked it so much is there's really nothing like this out there right now in that that I know of in, in kind of popular literature at the moment. I mean, people are always trying to like stay on top of trends and like, I mean, remember when the Hunger Games came out, everything after it for years was love triangle, dystopic, you know, Hunger Games, Twilight, everything was trying to be that. And so it's hard to get anything new out there because people just want what is popular, but the popularity fades after a while and it's just boring because it's not new anymore. Hunger Games was brand new. Nothing else was like that out there. Twilight was brand new. Nothing else was like that out there. And so to have Tress be something new and fresh and lovely, it was just mm-hmm. very refreshing. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to disagree that there was nothing like Hunger Games because Ugly's Pretty Special by Scott Westerfield predated it by a few years. Mm-hmm. And I love those books. And I want to bring up what you said about people chasing tropes and people chasing a similar a similar thing. And it gets... If you want to write Hunger Games light, if you want to file off the serial numbers and, and write something that feels like Hunger Games and you're you know implementing these flavors you will get a light version, a diet version that doesn't have the same. Emotional what you wanted was not the trappings heft. of the genre. What you wanted was the emotional intensity of it. Mm-hmm. And so writing a dystopia, but focusing on what you felt when you read it the first time, you're like, I want to evoke these same feelings, not I want to use these same set, like set pieces. Mm-hmm. That's something that makes it feel more authentic. And while I've I've done a lot of griping about the Disney princess brand stories, there are many books I've read about princesses, about royalty, about fae in recent years where authors have done just that. So like Naomi Novik <laughs> is writing the kind of stories that I want to read because I mainly enjoy, listen, I still enjoy Disney movies, but now I I watch animated movies because I'm so enamored with the art of animation itself. Mm-hmm. And I very rarely enjoy a movie's story more than I enjoy its technical achievement these days, which mm-hmm. sometimes sounds sad to me, but like I, I'm just so in love with the art of animation that like watching a particularly beautiful physics driven hair simulation emotionally moves me. <laughs> Ugh. Um, but reading stuff like Uprooted by Naomi Novik or The Hazel Wood or um Oh my gosh, it's by Holly Black, but it's not Darkest Cruel Prince. Part of it's the forest. Prince in the Coffin. Darkest no, Part of the Forest. Yeah. Or anything by Maggie Steve Otter. I'm I'm finding those deeper emotional things that I absolutely love. And it's, it's, oh man, you guys, 
listeners, I read the Locked Tomb series over Thanksgiving. Obsessed with it. Hilariously, the reason why I haven't read it up till now is I saw, okay, I saw Tumblr being obsessed with these necromantic lesbians. And I asked a, and I'm realizing now this is where I went wrong. I asked a straight friend who'd read the first book to tell me about the central love story. And she's like, oh, it's not a love story. I think Tumblr's just reading into it. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to get Destiel'd again. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm kind of sick of the fans say they're together and you read it and the author doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I am no longer taking recommendations from this friend ever again (laughs) because I read the series and I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) So I really enjoyed the Locked Tomb series. So. I want stories with emotional depth to them. Tress, Tress wasn't my favorite of the secret projects. Again, that honor still goes to Sunlit Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did really enjoy Tress because it felt like someone was writing an authentic, yeah, an authentic story with a lot of love at the center, a lot of heart. It had a very heart. yeah, yeah. I think out of out of all the Cosmere books I've read so far, this one felt like not that it had more at stake. Because, like, you can't beat, for me, me personally, you can't beat the end of Way of Kings. Like, that is hard. It's very hard. But the stakes of Tress were so important to this character that I admired that it was very important to me. Because you can write the most lovely story, but if people hate your character, they're not going to read it. Can I tell you about one of my Stormlight fears? Okay. Okay, so you know how a ketic is structured where the beginning reflects the end, like a palindrome? Mm-hmm. I am so worried in book five that somebody is going to be like, you cannot pay a price high enough to save all these people. And that person is going to say, what's the life of a man worth? The life of a man is priceless. I'm afraid a human that I love is going to lay down their life as a priceless gift in order to save the world. And I'm like, (laughs) don't, please. Anyway, that's a fear of mine. Is someone laying down their life to save everyone else? I'm like, don't do it. Stay alive. (laughs) Stay alive. Every now and then I get a little bit there. No. Um, Tress. Charlie as a romantic interest. Okay. Was not as compelling to me as the way, you know, Serene and Rayodin. I'm like, yes, perfect. They're for each other. And a lot of Charlie, I was like, well, Tress loves him. And I could love him for that. So Tress is perfect for, sorry, Charlie is perfect for Tress. Charlie would not be a good match for me, I feel. But he um, is sweet. He's yeah. a sweet little guy. <laughs> because I think we get Charlie for maybe one chapter at the beginning. And mm-hmm. we, like, it's it's a quick explanation of the world. And then it's Charlie and Tress sitting together. And she's telling us all the reasons why she likes him. Which mm-hmm. I, I was drawn in from chapter one. Yeah. I love the idea that Charlie claims to be a gardener. And the reason that she catches him sword fighting is because he's there to protect the plants. And, you know, like, there's always just a fun little, like, they understand each other. 
Yeah. Um, and I thought that they established the relationship between of them. I say they, Brandon Sanderson, established <laughs> the relationship between these two characters in one chapter. Yes. And so you understand why it's so important she gets him back. Because yes. he's really the only one for her. And she's the only yes. one for him. And yes. I thought that was like a technically well pulled off challenge. Because... Mm-hmm. So my problem when I'm writing is, oh, these two characters need to be together. And we're, I'm, I'm having a really hard time in my my book at this point where I'm just like, well, they're going to be together. So why do I have to make them get together? Why can't they just be together? And the idea of like building the relationship is a difficult challenge for me. And to see Brandon do it in a chapter, I'm kind of like... <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> to be fair, you have a very good sense as to what characters just belong together. Because you're like, hmm, Adolin and Shalon, match made. Uh, but this is me going back to like, Charlie is not an incredible person. But Tress loves him. And, and again, he doesn't mean anything to anyone except Tress. His yeah. family doesn't care about him. The The people of the village don't know him. And, like, if it weren't for Tress, no one would have saved him. Yeah. No one would have cared about him. And, again, the tran- the transformative power of kindness and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I also love, on your second read-through, the, the building friendship between Huck and Tress. The connection between Huck and Tress. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I like the parallel of Tress not telling people things that would hurt them and just Tress making one-sided decisions on how to help people. Mm-hmm. And so when you're like, oh my gosh, Huck, this huge betrayal, he told Hoyd to throw food over the side, blah, 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 blah. We're like, no, he's he's trying to protect Tress without telling her mm-hmm. because he can't tell her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't... Okay, and also with... Comparing this to Elantris, Sereni and Rayodin are the most accomplished, smartest, kindest, incrediblest royalty ever. And it's nice that Charlie and Tress are two teenagers kind of bumbling their way through this. That, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of times we don't like our protagonists to make mistakes and a lot of times when a character does oh, no. something to betray another, that's cause to hate that character absolutely forever. <laughs> oh, are you frozen? Or are you really just listening disinterested? Okay. No, you you <laughs> froze. I was, t- I was about to text you and be like, I don't know what you just said. I'm so sorry. The last I thing was... I heard were they were teenagers and that's it. And oh. then you just like. Okay, I was baiting. <laughs> I was baiting you about Moash and you were just sitting there like. <laughs> But I, I'm talking about how, like, typically when a character makes a mistake or a character does a betrayal, that's enough reason to hate them absolutely forever and they can never be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And I loved the the Huck betrayal and Tress being like, you still come anyway. Mm-hmm. And and the, they worked together anyway. And so I really loved the character of, I like Huck the rat more than I like Charlie the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they turned out to be the same person. So I... I didn't realize it was Charlie until he told Hoyd to throw the stuff over the side. And I'm oh. like, oh, he's Charlie. And so when they make it to the sorceress's tower and the door opens, I'm like, it's the swan princess. <laughs> Which 
Okay, if you want a movie that is a critique on films of the time while being its own thing, I think Swan Princess is great Princess because is the moment where he's like, arrange the marriage, you're beautiful. And she says, thank you, but what else? And he goes, <laughs> what else is there? I I love the love story in Swan Princess, so mm-hmm. that's that's a good one. We kind of talked about the different love stories that we, we enjoyed, and I, I think I had landed on... <laughs> I like friendships that become love stories. We've got Monica and Chandler. We've got, um, you know, Odette and, and the prince. And and so I I think Tress fit really well for me in that because, mm-hmm. I mean, Anne of Green Gables, Gilbert Blythe, you know. Yeah. Tress fit really well for me because they already had that foundation built. And a lot of really fun rom-coms are the kismet of like we run into each other and we keep running into each other and we don't know each other and we have to start from the ground up. And I like an established Zoe and Wash relationship. Yeah. I, let's see, I think the love stories I love the most is uh, Hurt Comfort, where like one or both people in the pairing have a lot of emotional or physical pain in their lives and... You know, this can be sunshine character meets storm cloud character. This can be I'm putting on a brave face to hide all my pain. But I love, hey, this new love that I have with you at the beginning is enough to make me forget all the horrible things in my life. And then by the time I trust you enough to tell you about the pain I've been through, you love me and you'll listen to me about it. I'm trying to think of fictional love stories I love. Oh, Vimes and Sybil. Yes. Ah. Love that pairing. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my bookshelf trying to determine which love story I've enjoyed reading the most. Uh, there's one in, <laughs> there's one in Mistborn Era 2 that scratches <laughs> all my itches about like, hey, my life's been hard until I've met you and you've made my hard life easier to live. Uh, oh, Booth and Bones from Booth Bones. Bones. That's it. That's my favorite love story. Yep. It's Booth and Bones from Bones. Um, so... One of the running jokes at Dragonsteel were people walking around with name tags that said Doug on them. I'm Doug. <laughs> You're Doug. And this felt to me like a little Terry Pratchetty, like mm-hmm. this little a tribe on Dugs and how like once a, once a civilization has reached Doug levels, you're doomed. Mm-hmm. And we have a relative whose name is Doug and I just had to laugh <laughs> about that. Uh, I loved the use of Doug's emotionally in the story. Because again, it starts off as a goof where Mm -hmm. Hoyt is like, this is too many characters to keep track of. We're just going to call them all Doug. Mm -hmm. And then in the Crimson Sea, when one of the Dougs dies and Hoyt reveals, no, you know, this Doug, this Doug helped Tress up over the side of the ship in the Emerald Sea. This Doug has a sister who's devastated he is dead. This Doug is a real person. They aren't a million same-faced nobodies in the background. That, Mm -hmm. like, even if you don't know someone very well, they have their own life and their own story. Mm -hmm. So Brandon can kill off a Doug. It reminds me of... um, in Community, it's in one of the early episodes, this may even be in the pilot episode, where Jeff holds up a pencil and is like, I can hold up this pencil and tell you that its name is Doug. He says a different name. <laughs> that its name is Doug. And then he snaps it in half and 
Shirley goes, <gasps> and he's like, humans will get emotionally attached to anything. <laughs> so, yeah, Brandon snapped that Doug in half right in front of us. And that was really a turning point emotionally in the story itself because mm-hmm. it had been very fairy tale up until that point where oh i'm i'm in love with a you know he's a duke's son but i'm in love with a prince and i'm going off on an adventure and and everyone at my home village is willing to help me on my way and then there are consequences mm-hmm. in this world this world is actually dangerous and actually trying to kill you and yeah yeah the, the idea oh go ahead oh just that the death of that dog is very gruesome as well Mm-hmm. I mean, we've pitched this book as like, oh, a lovely fairy tale with like love conquers all. And stuff. But seriously, like he talks about, um, I say Hoyt, Brandon Sanderson talks about the consequences of getting like spores in your mouth or sweat dropping. Like if you get any of these green spores in your mouth, the stalks are going to come through and pop your eyeballs out. Like, <laughs> and it it is a very dangerous world. And so I also think that's one of the reasons I like it so much is it's such a dangerous world. And you get this soft little love story adventure in it. And like it it works Mm -hmm. around the world building. That was one of the things that Brandon talked about um, at Dragonsteel is he and Christopher Paolini talked about like their five favorite world building things. And, and listen, as a, as a reader for me personally, world building, I don't care about so much. I want to know, how the characters feel and and the world doesn't normally come into that very much at all but the more that i've been aware of world building and like going to classes on it at dragonsteel and all these things just realizing obviously how important getting a solid foundation is and how your characters work within the environment and how the rules of the world affect your characters mm-hmm. um and so I kind of liked this huge dichotomy of like everything here wants to kill you. It's like Australia, quote yeah. unquote, versus, oh, but we have this cute little love story that's so sweet and so nice. And I loved that. So on a surface level, visuallys only, looking at the world of Tress, it's picturesque, it's incredible. But if a tiny piece of human gets into it, it's immediately dangerous. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of like Tress's, like, world up until this point is, like, she very much, she does her thing every day. And when she strays from safety, when she strays from home, like, every single move is imminent danger. And she could die at any time. But, yeah, just, like, one drop of water causes such an incredible visual reaction mm-hmm. i Emily, what do you think some of the other c's might do oh man i've got to think so we've got the vines that grow from the they grow from the emerald sea we've Green got vines. the sharp crystal spikes that grow from the red one we've got the monsters that you can you know use in the black one like uh-huh. I, at first i was thinking like oh maybe it has to do with like elementals like like you you drop a piece of water or whatever into this one sea and it like is an explosive force. Like it will blow you up. Like yeah. that sort of thing. I don't know. I'm there's 12 of them. And so there's 12 of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, no, I don't want Wikipedia. I want the copper mind. Wikipedia doesn't have what I need. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Zephyr, the blue spores create a puff of air. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to know what the gold spores do. Did we ever know what the gold spores do? Maybe, maybe they multiply. Like if you put water on it, it like multiplies and buries you. Like, are you saying that because of the Gringotts curse yes. on the gold? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be like. I, I feel like this is a world that hopefully we'll come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, I say he only wrote it for his wife, but I feel like. He he doesn't do anything by halves that, that he is well thought out, that he knows exactly where this fits. He's just like, oh, okay. So it's like, it's like the new Star Wars shows that are like, here's the big, you know, this is the, the Star Wars movie storyline that's going on. But in the meantime, here's the other little things that are going on behind the scenes. I feel like this is a behind the scenes peak and it was, it was lovely. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to tell you about the Cosmere magic and some Cosmere connections mm-hmm. about these spores. Okay. Because these are actually, besides the Buttercup introduction, Brandon wanted to introduce another type of magic system called ethers. A-E-T-H-E-R-S. So ethers are an ancient variety of investiture invested entities Mm -hmm. uh the the planet that tress lives on is called lumar um and i'm gonna guess because it sounds like the moon (laughs) and they've got like 12 (laughs) moons well they have a moon on the cover of the book (laughs) they do and oh oh there was one point in the book where I think it was Hoyd directly asked, it's like, hmm, and, and Seth, I mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, was uh, he in this book? I missed it. <laughs> oh, it, it might have been, it might have been Ulam either. Because Ulam actually says, your moons are home to a group of voracious entities known as ethers, And... Shouldn't shouldn't somebody ask why the moon is dropping so much aether on the planet below? And I was like, yes! <laughs> yes, they should. <laughs> I want to know! Ugh. So these spores are very dangerous. And Emily, they are not within the same system of, of investiture as the people with the proper names. So, you know, oh. the, the honor, odium, ruin dominion devotion we've talked about they are something completely separate from the ethers Ooh, i like that Ooh. uh but the the planet itself that tress lives on is considered a backwater system in the cosmere you know in star wars we would say she lives in the outer rim the outer rim, and the the core planets are more like cell roshar coruscant <laughs> Coruscant. <laughs> oh. So each day, the sun will pass behind one of the 12 moons, putting a shadow on the world, which is so cool. But yeah, each moon is the home to these 12 aethers, and it falls down in like perpetual, it's, it's constant, not rainfall, but like perpetual spore fall or aether fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and... 
Oh, something about the linguistics in this world. Did you notice that the curses typically have to do with like the moons or the oceans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is always fun. Listen, that's important when building your world. Who's going to swear and what's the worst thing they could say? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing about the moon. So on Roshar, Roshar has three moons mm-hmm. and they heavily play into the different cultures. Like the, the Shin refer to them as sisters and okay. the and the Alethi refer to them as like you know, different cultures gender the moons differently and they rise at different times and they're like different sizes. But the this planet on Lumar, um, all of the moons are about equal distance and equal size. Okay. So they've got like 12 identical moons and that means each, it means the world is like a die, a 12-sided die. Which you don't really use unless you're a barbarian. <laughs> um, and the the surface is not perfectly spherical uh, because of just the amount of sand constantly pouring down. Uh, the the seas themselves are kind of like low, huge hills. Mm-hmm. So like you're sailing uphill to get closer to the moon and like downhill to get away from it. And something else to consider is like just the size and the scale of these moons um, that, you know, when I was first reading, oh, 12 moons, I'm thinking of looking up in the night sky and seeing, you know, like a cool sci-fi moons of like all these different sizes. But we notice as Tress goes through her journey that it's like so big, you really only see like one moon no, at a time. time. And the moon takes up like a full third of the sky at once. So it's almost like beautiful. being trapped between two planets instead of being like, mm, look at the moon, so beautiful. So <laughs> we only really knew about like five seas, the Emerald, Crimson, and Midnight, which Tress actually sees, mm-hmm. the Sapphire Sea, which is made of Zephyr, mm-hmm. Aether, and those the, the blue ones, and then the Wind. Rose Sea is where a lot of the main movers and shakers exist, right? Like the 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 king lives in the Rose Sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. I read this once. I'm so sorry. I, I am going to read it again. Just I don't remember the specific. I'm going specifics. to read it again many more times. I says. Um, so as we're talking about all of like the science behind everything and uh-huh. and like Brandon is a big enough name, obviously, that he could probably get away with not explaining a lot. And people are like, cool, that's just how it works. But I, he does... I trust he has more. He just hasn't told us. <laughs> right, right. That was, I, I will say, um, I, I'm a bad, not a bad fantasy reader, but I'm a... Casual. About, like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Vibe reader. So... He goes into great detail about how the bombs work and how the spores work and how the mechanics work of everything. And I will say I skipped over most of that just because it wasn't I I feel like I'm like, it's going to work or it's not. I don't need to know how. I just want to get to more Tress. And the fact that I could skip that, I'm sure it would have um, like enhanced my my experience but also the fact that i could skip that and didn't feel like i missed 
a big thing. Like I'm not interested in how mechanics work. I'm not interested in how the machines work. For people who do, I'm sure that was amazing and wonderful. But like that was one thing where it's just like, oh, we got several pages of this. I'm just going to get to the end because Tress knows what she's doing. I trust her as a <laughs> character. I don't have to figure out how this works. Tress does though. See, and I always think it's cool to think through the scientific ramifications of magic. Mm-hmm. that like i find rules to a magic system make it more interesting mm-hmm. obviously i'm a huge cosmere fan <laughs> um because you know sanderson's laws of magic knowing the limits of uh, this isn't specifically a law of magic but like it it feeds into but like knowing the limits of something makes it when someone figures out a way around them mm-hmm. more like satisfying and like interesting uh, interesting to read yeah um, I'm, I'm the sort of breed that enjoys it says, there's magic, you have a wand, great, it works. <laughs> great. And then later on, if they're like, oh, phoenix feather versus unicorn hair versus dragon heart string, I'm just like, cool. Nice. It works. <laughs> uh, cool magic system. I wish we saw more spores. I, mm-hmm. I wish Tress had more spores to play with. Mm-hmm. Um... I loved the kind of like like kooky crazy uh like way that people see her now, which is like you're a spore whisperer or whatever, <laughs> like you're crazy, like because no one in their right mind is gonna touch it. And I love that that just kind of like adds to her yeah. like reputation. That was fun. Mm-hmm. That like a lack of fear is seen as extreme courage in the eyes of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I wanted to talk about the interesting intersection in. Do you remember a phrase people used to say all the time that Bella Swan was so popular because she had so little characterization that you could project anything onto her? Oh, yeah, there's a there's a term for that. Yeah. And I can't remember I, what it is. But yes, I yes. don't feel that's accurate. Okay. Because I I feel Bella Swan is characterized quite clearly in the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But within the story of Tress, uh, oh, it's like the Kuleshov effect in film, mm-hmm. where if you show a neutral face and then you show another image exactly after, people will ascribe an emotion to the neutral face based on how they feel about the next image. Mm-hmm. Um, so Trev, Trev, <laughs> Tress got Kuleshov effect by other members of the crew mm-hmm. by staying silent when they asked her questions, by not showing emotions or show fear. They decided, oh, she's a king's hand. Oh, she's really thinking this. Oh, she's really plotting this. One of the things that infuriate me the most in my actual life is when people tell me things about myself that are incorrect (laughs) (laughs) i could definitely see that that would get you out so um like okay something that happened over thanksgiving is you and i were laughing about we're telling the family about oh the the bit where i'm like you must not have a very good imagination then Mm -hmm. and one of our sisters said oh that's because megan thinks there are no consequences to anything she says (laughs) and i got so mad (laughs) uh because i'm like that's not what it was at all it was just funny why that sister says that (laughs) 
by Tress being good and kind and sweet and nice and everyone making assumptions that she must be doing it for this reason. Underestimating her. Yes, underestimating her. That her her quiet determination and like her being a quiet, self-contained person ended up being to her benefit because I don't think Tress was wrong about many people at all. Tress actually can watch someone and get a good estimation of them. A trait she shares with Rayodin and Sereni. Mm -hmm. Not with Rathid. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Underestimated Diloph a lot. A lot. But that, yeah, a, a skill in reading people is great. And I also... All right. Do you know why many Disney princesses have talking animal companions? Have we talked about this? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. One of the reasons why many Disney princesses have a talking animal sidekick is not because talking animal sidekicks make great merchandising. Although now that seems to be all that they are intended for. The three little brothers on Brave. Oh my gosh. Their original purpose is to give the heroine someone to talk to in order to turn her internal thoughts external so she can voice them for the audience. Well, you think about Snow White. She's alone for most of, like, the big decisions she has to make. And so as she's talking to the animals, explaining what she's thinking or why she's going to do this, that makes perfect sense. So, yeah, the reason a Disney princess talks to animals is so the Disney princess can talk to the audience. Mm-hmm. We uh, are the animals. We are. We the- are the talking animals. <laughs> yes, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's how Sleeping Beauty. That's who she talks to to be like, oh, I've met someone in a dream. I've been keeping a secret from my caretakers. Or Cinderella is like, if you tell someone a wish, it won't come true. And and here, let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. And it also, it, yeah. So talking sidekick animal companions are a way to take your heroine's internal struggles or or human because you know aladdin has a boo is a way to take your protagonist's internal thought process and externalize them for the audience something that books do not typically need to do because Mm -hmm. we are already in the character's head and we are already hearing their internal thoughts and feelings um so i really love Huck's inclusion as a talking animal companion because Tress is not forthcoming to anyone in her life. Like when at the beginning of the book, when she speaks to her parents uh, and she's like, I'm going to go. She doesn't even like really explain them why. She's like, I'm going to go rescue Charlie. There you go. And her dad is like, has Tress ever asked us for anything ever? And it's that from that I get Tress is, is typically quiet. She'll talk to the, the sailors. She'll like, she loves to hear stories, but Tress herself doesn't talk much, but she loves to talk with Charlie. Mm-hmm. Charlie is the only person that she feels confident enough to share her internal feelings. And at the beginning, when she first has Huck, she's like, she is with everyone around herself. She's protective of Huck. She's looking out for him. But he ends up becoming a confidant and someone she can take her internal thoughts and and share them aloud, which is one of the reasons why Huck's betrayal is so hard. But it also Mm -hmm. lets Charlie see another side of Tress and fall even more in love with her. Yep. This is making me think of the moment when she sees the fake Charlie. Oh, yeah. We should talk about the end. Yeah. And with the the fake Charlie just agreeing with Tress and saying exactly what she wants to hear, 
But Tress knows people. Tress can read people, and she gets that. Uh, yeah, Emily, tell me about the ending. I adored the fake Charlie. I thought that mm-hmm. was a clever bit on Brandon slash the sorcerer slash the Elantrans part of just you've worked so hard you're not you're probably I think what her thought was Tress has worked so hard to get here she's probably exhausted she's not on her best like yeah foot and so I'm gonna be able to pull one over her and this is gonna be easy and I love that Tress also surprises because everyone underestimates Tress Mm-hmm. They constantly, constantly do the entire time. And so when she's able to say, like, oh, this isn't my Charlie. Like, oh, it was so satisfying. Yeah. Um, back to uh, Swan Princess. <laughs> uh, listeners, spoilers for the Swan Princess. But the villain makes a clone of the love interest because uh, Odette is under a curse to be a swan. And only uh, an act of true love proven to the world can break her curse. And so the prince is like, I will pledge my everlasting love at this ball in front of thousands of people. And it's already quite clear that this prince doesn't know who Odette is as a person. (laughs) And he is fooled. He is fooled by the evil Odette in a black dress. And he... (laughs) He pledges the love. He pledges his love incorrectly. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, very dramatic, and and I love it. I've seen someone do like a, like a screenshot, and they put like their own twist on what's happening. And my favorite is when Derek does that, and the Swan Odette is outside <laughs> trying to get his attention, just like just like yeah. his anatomy. And the the caption they put on there was Derek, you useless bag of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Like, that fits perfectly. I don't think we we clearly stated this. The reason why Charlie got kidnapped by the sorceress is the king sent him as a proposed marriage to the sorceress for peace. Because uh-huh. he was being such a jerk about dating other girls. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, you know what? Enough. So yeah, his, his dad did not send him. The king is like, we need a young noble... Here you go. Which is probably why the king hooked the duke up with such a good actual heir. Because he's like, sorry, I sent your real son off to get, I don't know, married or something. Can you imagine? I mean, I, okay, I don't know. Uh, okay. No, can I can imagine, imagine quite a lot. Tell me. If the sorceress had agreed to this and all of a sudden they were trapped in a web of their own making of, oh, the sorceress is aligning with this tiny little rock of a planet, and now they're the most important people on the whole Earth. I think that would have been a fun a fun twist. I don't think she would have said yes. I think she might have said yes as a joke, just to, like, mm-hmm. make them sweat. But, like, okay, so I know she cursed Charlie and sent him off the island almost immediately, but imagine an uprooted-style story or a Beauty and the Beast-style oh. story of... This young boy sent to marry an ancient and immortal uh, woman instead of what, you know, Siri and Susabron went through. Yeah, yeah. He is 50 years old. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love I love that element of a fairy tale uh, that got that got reversed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the 
As Sander Lanches go, this one is quite small. Mm-hmm. Everything happens to a very small group of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Tress, Charlie, the sorceress, Hoyd. Mm-hmm. That's who's involved in this. It's real. You know, I'm going to say it's really just Hoyd and the sorceress. Yeah. Like... All Tress the culmination of the book. <laughs> Listen, Tress gets all the pieces there. Yeah. But she doesn't really fight in the final confrontation. No. Yeah. Uh, although, here's a fun piece of trivia. In the painting of the sorceress about to cast a spell on Tress, uh, she uses the Aeon Sheo. Uh, and this Aeon is about transformation and illusion. Oh, a, uh, a girl rat for Huck? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Um, so yeah, it's it's possible that Tress was gonna get the same the same kind of curse. It was great. Uh, I loved it. I really, really loved this book. Me too. The end. I think that's the end. I, I think, think we I did think it. We, we did it. <laughs> oh, Emily, you have so much more Cosmere knowledge. My foundation has never been more firm. Yeah. Uh, and hey. Now you've heard how long Hoyt has been trying to become an Elantrian. Forever. He finally did it. And, and you know, it used to be that the, the Riot would just take people. And now it turns out Elantrians can invite other people to become Elantrians. So here's a question. Do you think Rayodin would invite Sereni to be an Elantrian with him? I feel like he would offer, but I don't know that she would accept initially. Like, here's how I feel, is that she has worked so hard to accept herself for who she is. You know, this this person who is the old maid and, you know, all these things. Like, I feel like she feels, I don't know, I feel like she feels she would be good for now. Maybe in the future. Mm-hmm. That would be, that's, that's just how I feel it would be that she, if he did, she wouldn't accept right away. Okay. What do you think? Uh, I would, I, I was thinking of it like Stardust, mm-hmm. where they eventually would just so they could be together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I say that because I'm thinking about the story that Galadon told about his father, that his father lost his mother because she was not an Elantrian or that mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't fully part of the Elantrian society because he was primarily from Duladel. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I feel that if, because obviously that wasn't an option during Elantris itself. This is something they must have discovered in the, in the centuries since. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think if I was Sereni, I'd say yes, just so I could be immortal with Raiden for a longer time. Oh yeah. I think eventually she would say yes, but I don't know if he's like, do you want to do it today? She'd probably... I feel like she'd be like, nah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Emily, we've we've come to the end of our super Alon Tress, super special, amazing six-hour episode. <laughs> I and hope it I fits. am here to tell you something incredible. Okay. You have seen Rayodin's friend, Galadon, in The Way of Kings. <gasps> what?! When? In the Pure Lake interlude, when Ishik is talking. He's the one of the ones looking for Hoyd? 
when Ishik is talking to those men looking for Floyd, uh, the one called Grump, who is described having dark skin like like a makabaki, that is Galadon. Listen, I will tell you something. I have never listened to our Pure Lakes episode more than once because um, it had really bad audio and I can't bring myself to listen oh, no. to it anymore. I have to go back and reread those chapters. <gasps> yeah, you should because, and so he was one of the world hoppers that people picked out pretty quickly because he ends all of his, he keeps calling people friend, uh, which is, and then he ends his statements with understand. And those are translations of the the words that he would use all Aww. the time in for, for Rayodin. That makes me really happy. Yep. Now, you have got to reread more. Okay, so we know the identities of all three of those guys. Okay. But. But you're not going to tell me who the other two people are. I am not. Okay. Uh, you've read books, you've read books with one of them, and you haven't read the book with the other, but all is three Vasher of those one char- of them? Who? Vasher. No, Vasher is somebody else. Okay. Well, I mean, I know he's in, like, yeah, Words of yeah. Radiance. So Vasher was not, Vasher was not one of those three guys. Okay. Will you tell me at so, least what book they're from? Uh, yeah. One of them is from the Mistborn series. Okay. Uh, First Era. And one of them is from White Sands. Oh, I don't think I've read that one. Which I just got. I just got a uh, the White Sand omnibus of the graphic novels, mm-hmm. um, which has some you know minor art and paneling corrections done by uh, Isaac from from the original, which was by uh, Julius Gopez. Emily, our Elon Tress special. Mm-hmm. I. I, we decided to do both of these books together in one episode, kind of as a goof, kind of as a joke. Mm-hmm. I am now so deeply glad that we did. So thank you again to Friend of the Pod, Priscilla. Yes. <laughs> for the title. But um, now, during our live, we talked about who, what do you recommend to people to get them into the Cosmere? Mm. And I would say if you only read, oh, man. That's the thing, is to get people involved in the Cosmere, I would say read Elantris. Mm-hmm. But if you only ever read one Cosmere book, I again am going to say read Elantris. Elantris, yeah. But Tress is a very special and a very beautiful book. Mm-hmm. And it might be a way to get people more like you into the <laughs> Cosmere than it would be to get someone more like because it was so fun seeing the easter eggs in tress of being like oh that's breath oh that's this oh blah 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 and so it is one that you can read if you've never read anything else like the ending would hit differently for you but Mm -hmm. it's a it's a palatable beginning that's not the word i want to say but it's an accessible it's a very accessible beginning it's an accessible beginning so now we are going to uh, send Emily off on her editing adventures. <laughs> extreme Mistborn reread. Uh, but we have a new rule on the podcast, which is we can't promise y'all anything until we actually record it. 
But hopefully maybe we can just get Emily started on the final empire and we'll record that at some point. But I'll uh, reread it. I, I will be surprised it if I remember anything from the I remember one thing from the end of the trilogy and one thing from the beginning of the trilogy. No, two things from the end, one thing from the beginning. What do you remember? Don't say the end. What do you remember about the beginning? I remember Kelsier and what happens to him. Okay. What do you remember about the character of Zane? Nothing. That is one of the reasons I am most excited for you to reread it. <laughs> I want to talk with you about Zane. All right. I, oh, okay, I'm... in my defense, in my defense, I got all three books and tried to get through them as fast as possible yeah. because I was like, what is this? What is this Brandon thing that everybody keeps talking about? And and I again, we've established this. I'm not a big I'm not a big brick fantasy reader enjoyer. I there's yeah, too yeah. many words for me to keep hold of the vibes. And so I I enjoyed it. I remember being like, these are good books, but I really don't remember much else about them. So it will be well, fun to go back and read them again. I, I am also deeply invested ha, in getting us through Oathbringer because you've been really enjoying that book so far. So and much. I think I've, I've told you multiple times about Marie's incredible art in the Oathbringer Sanderlanch. And I'm I cannot so wait to, read it. to show you those. Oh, they're so beautiful. I was, and I know I've said this on the podcast before, but the first time I read the Oathbringer Sanderlanch, I was mad because I'm like, there's literally no way a single person, me, can illustrate all this. And then Marie illustrated all of it. It is so gorgeous. It is so beautiful. And I can't wait for you to read it. So listeners, thank you for uh, enjoying this interlude with all the pieces put together. We'll probably be close to four or five hours. Um, but I we know may split this into two episodes, but post them at once. Okay, we'll see yeah. what happens. So that's what Grey's Academy does. Shout out to my friends Carmen and Kelsey on Grey's Anatomy, and double shout out to Carmen for telling everyone how great my hair looked in a selfie I posted <laughs> a couple weeks ago because I asked him to, and he takes requests. <laughs> but wonderful. Uh, did we even say what we were supposed to be? Do oh, I think in my tiredest state when we started recording this, I said I had to take a nap. I took a nap in the middle of this. And by a nap, I mean uh, nine hours of sleep. <laughs> so um, I actually have to get back to recording a Roswell podcast. I have to get back to editing this episode. <laughs> oh, I super believe in you. Do you do? I believe in you too. Listeners, if you're just joining us because you've heard great things about me or Emily in real life, I hope this first taste of our podcast, because I'm going to start recommending people start here <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> anyway, welcome to My Sister Made Me View It. Please check out the rest of our work. Hopefully we'll see you at Dragonsteel 2024. And okay, that's it. I really am done now. Ready? All right. Ready. Ready. Break. Break. <laughs> <laughs> Da 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 da